Hello, and before you get started on this episode of Zap to the Past, we would just like to say thank you to the following people. Andy Marsh, Cole Hutchinson, David Hearn, Sven Osa, 2000DC, Gary Heather, Roger McNally, Joshua Dove, Mark Fletcher, Etienne Wettingfeld, Niall Bullitt, Alexander Gosling, Tim TJ Walker, Dylan DeArch, Phil Sowerby, Joshua K, Dominic Kendrick, Rune P, Steve Perant, Nick James, Daniel Spreadbury, Peter Price, Richard Davey, Johan Rubstad Lilia, Dennis Brakus, AL82 Retro, Liam Carew, Trevor Planner, Alistair McMillan, Mark Schutz, and Lee Sparkles. These awesome people have chosen to back our Patreon at the C64 tier, and we are hugely appreciative of the support they offer. If you want to join them and get a mention in next month's shout out, access to our Discord server, and any special releases we put out, and other cool stuff such as early access to the episodes ad free, then sign up by the 18th of the month at patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past for little more than the price of a pint of beer. It helps us keep playing the games so you don't have to. And now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 89 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Radding. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our second batch of games from issue 37 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and were galled by Gunsmoke, cheated by the Car Sharks, and found no rolling whatsoever in Rolling Thunder. This week, we continue our look at the games in May 1988, along with what was lighting up our TV screens that month. Dear God, Graham, tell us what to expect. In this delicious double-poached egg-on-toast of an episode, we go on an old-fashioned run-and-jump rescue mission through the ghost-strewn assault course world of Packland, feel our eyes water as the difficulty makes our perineums burn in the budget shoot 'em up Tanium, steer clear of the moors, wait for a while and beware the moon in the pixel-blood-splattered Wolfman, and head to an asteroid or two and dig up some Minorvian crystal while also improving our credit rating in the futuristic corporation. If those poached eggs didn't contain enough protein, we visit seven randomly created towers and go hunting for seven rings in the basic but interesting The Halls of the Things. Shout angrily at the sluggish demake car crash nonsense of the dreary championship sprint. Prepare the eye bleach for the utterly torrid straight line racing horror of Shirley Muldowney's top fuel challenge before finally heading to the magical Bronze Age world of the mouse-like Ferentu in our Northall Q15-C assault helicopter to thwart the pesky Perdusins in the oddly misnamed Prowler. A mixed-up offering, indeed, to paraphrase Al Pacino's character in the film The Devil's Advocate. Oh, there are so many games. <laughs> Dear God, indeed. <laughs> May he strike me down with lightning if there's any good in there. <laughs> I know. The Jalalas are out in force for this one. I did utter many a Jalala 
during the uh, playing of this. Many Jalalas were sacrificed. <laughs> I went full Rastan. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> many Jalalas were roasted in the in the pits of slaw that day. I can tell you that. <laughs> if only it was if far only. too much. <laughs> Not enough. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly what there was. Too many. Too many. But we'll come to all of this, of course. <laughs> there was much overacting of barbarians in this episode. Uh, was, from from us. How have you been anyway? Been all right. Most podcasts sort of ask is a bit of banter at the first. We don't really do that sort of thing. So I thought I'd just ask. You all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Yeah. There we go. It's That's that done. Bit, bit busy. <laughs> we had sideways rain earlier, um, which was really strange. For five minutes, we had fast crazy hurricane force sideways rain so it it rained sideways i mean even on my garage door the rain pattern was sideways that's how crazy sideways it was i've never seen it before i mean it's good in some ways and in other ways surprisingly not good (laughs) (laughs) so just watch out for that sideways rain if you're stood in the way of it (laughs) it was weird because we we said last time that we get raining crazy bursts now so we know it saves up the rain all day so it could yeah, just rain yeah. in exactly 30 seconds. So you get a rate 30 second deluge, but this time it just got the direction wrong. Not quite sure why or how. <laughs> Gravi- gravity went all in us. <laughs> gravity went. It, went, it all went very interstellar for a moment. I was thinking, is, is there a gravity anomaly? Am I, am I being sent a message? I found some coordinates in the, uh, the dust in the bottom of the shed I've got oh. in the garden. Followed those coordinates and it just led me to the co-op. I thought, oh, that oh, seems that's a bit no disappointing. Good. But it's a very strategic plan. <laughs> Newton was spinning vertically in his grave. It was, well, I think that this is just some surreptitious plan from the co-op. They've got a giant wind-making machine that blows all the rain <laughs> sideways so that people will come to co-op, I think. Oh, we thought it was... All the stores uh, electric- are available. We thought it was an electricity generator, but actually it's a sideways rain pusher. Sideways, the sideways rain. Wouldn't it be weird if the film Interstellar all ended up for them warping through that wormhole near Saturn <laughs> just to get to a co-op? Like, oh, that's... That seems a very elaborate place to put one, but all right. They are handy, to be fair. No wonder Matthew handy. Broderick was crying like that. It's not Matthew, it's Matthew McConaughey, sorry. Yeah, Matthew, Matthew Broderick was, was crying at that scene. He's a very emotional guy. <laughs> it's very emotional. He, he put it on his blog. I read it. He said, I found this That's scene very emotional. a very, very sad emotional. scene, I have you know, in that film. I'm not mocking it, but I'm just saying it would be all the sadder if he ended up at co-op. Yeah, and he was stuck there for 23 years. Play back on my co-op messages for 23 years. All those bargains I could have had. All, the- <laughs> all those all those things for £5 each week. Oh, I could have lived oh. like a king. A oh, that, king, bread was, a that bread was 19 pence a loaf. Oh. <laughs> it was reduced at 9pm every day. I could have been there. All that money I would have saved in bread. <laughs> Someone's going to have to do that scene, I think, where he's he doesn't miss his family, just miss, misses out on the fact of all the coupons he could have had. His name's Cooper as well in the film, isn't it? His name's actually, in that hour version, he's called it's Coupon. His, yeah, yeah, Bob Voucher. It could be Bob Voucher. They could miss out on all the things at Lidl you get through the Lidl app. No hero of space-time travel is ever going to be called Bob Voucher. You don't know? You don't know that. Thousand Cooper, monkeys, infinite, mon- infinite monkeys, infinite typewriters. That's probably you what they found know. in the other side of you the black know. hole. <laughs> Do you know what? I actually said this was supposed to be talk about us, but instead we're, we've ended up in co-op, interstellar that's what co-op. Happens. That's, that's what happens with us. That's what it happens. Does. When a conversation ends with a thousand monkeys being behind a black hole, you know we were involved in that conversation. <laughs> Something happened. Something dark. <laughs> Something dark. Actually, that sounds like the trailer for the Disney film, The Black Hole, because that's got that kind of weird tonal voice and it. it's like, the black hole, a dark what? and mysterious place. 
<laughs> Someone says exactly in the black that, hole yeah. trailer, there are a thousand monkeys behind the black hole. I don't remember that well. version. They may as well, because it would make more sense than the ending of that film. That's true. Just ends up inside his robot, doesn't he? Yeah, he ends up inside Maximilian on a, a version of hell after travelling through a series of glass corridors as a floating angel. Starts off on a spaceship <laughs> with robots. Sure, we got to that point. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Strange things happen when you go through a black hole. <laughs> but because they didn't, because there was somebody said, "What happens when you get through a black hole?" And everyone went, "Don't know." Stringification, so, no spaghettification. Exactly. Well, yeah, we know that now, but back then they didn't. So they just assumed that it was some kind of light corridor leading to a version of hell <laughs> where you get trapped inside a robot. Makes perfect yeah. sense when you think about it. It's the, it's the it's Disney version sense. of two thousand and one. It is. It's. Uh, it certainly is. Yes. Yes. Go, you should go and watch that. I'd recommend it. What black but only hole? Because the music. Yeah, the music will drive you insane. Because it's. I've seen hauntingly it. Hauntingly repetitive. I got it out for a birthday party when I was a lot younger. I regretted that decision. It's not birthday party films. For, for one of your son's <laughs> birthday parties, like God, no, the special mine. effects. Come on. <laughs> no, mine. That was that was but, a cheerful uh, birthday. Yeah, everyone no, loved it that. It won. It won. No one came to the next one, put it that way. <laughs> I was going to say, they, were they all cheering when Maximilian drills his claws into that guy through his book? No, they were all sat That there was going, the moment everyone screamed and went, I want to go home. I want to go home. This jelly out. tastes funny. <laughs> it's not jelly. <laughs> <laughs> it never was. Get out. No, it doesn't. Right, should we get in some games? <laughs> yes, I think we probably should now. <laughs> I think we should. Um, yeah. Well, we've got some joyous ones maybe to start off with. So, yeah, let's get into our first game because, uh, yeah, I think we Let's should. do it. Let's do that. So, Graham, take us to Packland. Packland. Oh, okay, I suppose we can. This conversion's a bit of a mystery, isn't it? It's, it's down as Ganon Designs in Lemon, and it's there is no credits in the actual game. So it's just by people who do conversions for Namco. Anyway, the original, the music's by Jason Seabrook for the C64 version, apparently. Mm-hmm. The original is a... Now, it's important, actually, this. Packland is a 1984 side-scrolling arcade platform game developed and released by Namco. It was mm-hmm. created by programmer Yoshiro Kishimoto, who was tasked with creating an arcade game based on the American Pac-Man cartoon television series by Hanna-Barbera. All of that, I didn't know. The control scheme was inspired by Konami's track and field because it, on the arcade, it used buttons instead of a joystick. I also didn't know that. To make it so it stood out, apparently. And this predates all things like Super Mario Brothers. Ghosts and Goblins and all of those. So this is kind of the mm-hmm. grandfather of all the side-scrolling run-and-jump type games. This is the one that it kind of begins here a little bit, really. There might be other variants, but I think this is the this sets some of the benchmark of where it's going to go. Thankfully, yes. things yeah. moved on. Anyway, so that's 1984. We're in 1988 now with this podcast and this episode. Yeah. So Pac-Land then. Pac, the world's most famous computer character ever, is back and starring in his own adventure cartoon. Pac-Land is a superb conversion of the internationally famous coin-op. This is from the... Uh, Exciting instructions. Pac-Man is a worldwide phenomenon. There are scores of imitators in the arcade, are there, and in the home, but there is only one Pac-Land. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've got um, a whole issue around the idea of Pac-People in a Pac-Land, but I'll come to that later. <laughs> anyway, there are <laughs> okay. four very different journeys for Pac. Is, is he called Pac? He's just called Pac now. Anyway, I there are four very Man. different journeys for Pac. I thought it was, but now he's called Pac. Because this well, I suppose Mrs. Man Pac is just Man. his second... I mean, it's, it's, it's not just all his one name. I suppose Man is his second name. I want there to be a Jeremy Pac-Man. I really do, anyway. 
Asking just really saying. hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> he just eats, eats pills and eats you if you don't get it. Anyway, what am I on about? Stop. stop. There are four very different uh, journeys for Pack to attempt, giving the full flavour and complexity of the gameplay which made in the arcade machine, uh, sorry, which made the arcade machine such a huge hit. So, set on his home island. Pac-Man, Pac has got a home island. He has. Pac he has resolves to help a lost fairy home to fairyland. Right. To succeed, Pac must pass through towns, forge through rugged mountains, cross dangerous ravines, and trek across deserts. Um, throughout the adventure, Pack is hindered by his relentless enemies, Blinky, Pinky, Inky, and Clyde. We all know them. We do. Um, these persistent ghosts dwell in Packland, and they will do everything in their power to prevent Pack succeeding. Pack has allies too. Power pills are ready and waiting. And when eaten, the ghosts turn blue and can be caught leaving their eyes to flee the screen ready for rapid regeneration. Seems like a very long-winded way of saying they clear off the screen, that, doesn't it? But there you go. Yep. Yeah. Pack has an addiction to fruit. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? I guess. We've all been there. Yeah, um, and although he can move around the whole screen, may have to jump in order to bite the fruits which appear. Jump to bite fruits. <laughs> I want that on a T-shirt. Um, Isn't that like jump for gravy points? Exactly. It was. It's, going, it's going on one of our branded T-shirts, I'm telling you. Jump to bite fruits. The hazards on his path are numerous. In the town, watch out for the fire hydrants uh, who don't kill you. They just have to jump over them and get in your way. And ghosts in cars. Ravines must be crossed, tumbling logs and moving platforms. Negotiated carefully. Also, watch out for the ghosts as they take to the skies in their aircraft when Pack is riding on the clouds. They are no fools. <laughs> I love the way this is written. When you succeed in getting to Fairyland, the Queen will present you with a reward of a pair of flying shoes. <laughs> These will speed you on your journey home. But don't be complacent yeah. as Blinky, Pinky, Inky and Clyde are still chasing you. And it's a long way to go. The round is over when you have rejoined your family in Packtown. Not that okay. far. <laughs> it's really not, is it? <laughs> no. um, so this is a C64 conversion of that. That wonderful fairy tale of... The trials and tribulations of Pac people. Um, let's not uh, gender stereotype them. Um, in the land of Pac, Pac land, being chased by ghosts. This mm-hmm. is a, as I've said, a side-scrolling run. Could they call them a run and jump? I guess you call this. What do you call it's them? A platform, Just a platform game, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's not many platforms on it though. That's the first. I think that's the thing they introduced when they someone said, "Is this a platform game?" Yeah. Not many platforms in it. Oh <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, so it's kind of a run and jump over stuff game. There's a few platforms maybe here and there. Yeah. Um, but you travel from left to right, very similar to the arcade, jumping over obstacles, collecting certain things like fruits, because, of course, you are addicted to fruit. Don't uh, feed the addiction, otherwise he gets cold turkey. And you jumping. don't want to meet a Pac-Man that's hangry. A hangry Pac-Man's a dangerous thing. Yeah. You can also take the power pills, eat the ghosts, obviously, and the idea is to run all the way to the end, which upon which you will um, take off your pack hat because he wears a hat, underneath which is the fairy. The fairy gets out, stretches its legs, has a bit of a wish, wander around, gets back, and then you've got to travel across a couple of other levels. And then when you get to the end and you meet the big fairy, because obviously you take the hat, you take the you know, you take the fairy to the end and she goes up to Fairyland or whatever, the, the, she comes back and gives you your magic shoes. And then you've got to go back through the level whence you came, all the way back through town and back the other way and, and traverse in the opposite direction. That's kind of the way mm-hmm. the pack land plays out. And obviously this is a very, this is an old arcade game. So it's, you know, score-based kind of logic. You have time on the levels. So you've got to try and get from left to right in a certain time. You've got this little count at the bottom, um, which is like a little Pac-Man sort of dying. A bit bleak, actually, that, isn't it? But that's what you've got. Um, so as you go across, you know, you're watching little mini Pac people die as you sort Dead, of don't make it. Pac-Man. Yeah. yeah. If you hit anything, obviously it's, you know, it's lights out for Pac-Man. That doesn't end well for him if he bumps into a ghost. And they, they are tricky little devils. So they will try and appear at the most difficult p- moments. There are some issues around that with the C64 version, which I'll come to in a minute. But 
It has to be said, this is a pretty faithful conversion of the arcade, all said and done. I think almost all of the detail from the arcade is is here. And I mean, it's from 1984, right? So we're not mm. pushing down any graphic barrier walls here. It's, it's kind of blocky 8-bit resolution stuff anyway. But it is kind of all here, almost. It's very simple, this game. And given that we've got Giant Sisters on the horizon, um, I think it's sort of a little bit out of time. I think in in a way, mm. but it is it is you know what is in the arcade is in here really. I think the look and feel, even tonally, with its typeface and colours, I think they're all quite faithfully reproduced on the C sixty four here. But it, my argument is really that it should be able to do that because this yeah. is a computer that's you know of its of that time really. So it should, all the things here it should be easily be able to do. Mm-hmm. And given this is so close to the original, it presents a simple enough run and type deal. It's a little bit slower than the arcade, and there's a few little details, but I'll come to. But generally speaking. This is akin to the the whole kind of Mario type. It's very simple. It's a simple Mario. This this is mm-hmm. very simple, basic Mario type game. So, as I said, you walk, run to the right. You can the joystick controls on this. Um, if you, I think, if you double tap the joystick to the right, he runs, doesn't he? Um, and if you press the fire yes. button, he jumps. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Essentially, that's correct. Um, so, and he changes his facial expression when you do running and when you do jumping as well. Mm-hmm. So, and those things. So, these there's little animations. Everything from the arcade is kind of here because that's how the arcade works. So, you could run and you could walk in the arcade. You can jump when you get things to jump higher and all that kind of thing. There's little extras in the arcade that aren't here, but say, well, we'll come to that in a minute. Um, so, this is a pretty cl- close arcade conversion. I think, in terms of what's in here, this is about the closest I think to the arcade that I think we've seen in a long while in terms of. Pound for pound, side by side. Now, the levels are slightly shorter, I think, than the arcade. And the movement is slightly slower than the arcade, which does hinder it a little bit. And the logic mm-hmm. of the enemies in the arcade is they're a little bit more, there's a little bit more to them. Here, they just kind of float on and get in the way. I don't think the patterns are pretty much the same as the arcade, actually, but they seem to be sh- not as much. I, I was running across the first level and I pretty much just ran throughout the whole thing. I didn't really have to do anything. Um, I jumped twice, yeah, yeah. I think, and I could, so I could just run across the. You know, you can't do that for every level, and they do get harder. But at the same time, there is a lot of that in this, and the levels, as, as we said, you know, they're not. It's not like you're running in Mario style. With the levels could feel quite long. These levels are really short. Now you're out of the town, end of level one, and that's like you know a collection of houses. It's quite small. Pack town is small. Is a small town, akin to a small fishing town, really, like Cleethorpes, <laughs> perhaps a bit smaller than that. Anyway, so. I, d- I didn't actually have the arcade original to play or anything like that. I had a quick look on YouTube to remind myself. I remembered it from the arcade. And in fact, it's one I tend to visit. If I'm in the arcade club or anything, I will always have a bit of a go on Pac- Pac-Land. It- it's catchy in its own weird way, in its own early logic. The music on it is quite good. And I- and again, it's weird because I was thinking there was, when you first start the game, it's completely silent. And it's a little nerving, really, actually, because you expect there to be some kind of jaunty title music. But the arcade is exactly the same. There's no music on the arcade. When you start the arcade, the music starts when you start the game. You get that diddle 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 diddle. Music mm-hmm. will work its way into your soul, but <laughs> all the arcade music is actually very well represented in this C64 conversion as well. When I say everything's here, everything is here. The animations on Pac-Man, the ghosts are pretty much the same. The movements are kind of the same. The kind of enemies are more or less the same. Um, there's just a few little bits of um, extra graphic trickery that aren't in the C64 version. So when you're running in through the woods, there's some trees that go very close in sort of a and scroll past you right at the front in the foreground. They're not in the C64 version and things like that. Little bits like that, but everything's here. Um, so I think like with all of those things, this, it, the question really then, is this a good, firstly, is it a good arcade conversion? Yes, it is. If pound for pound, it's an arcade conversion. Other problems from the arcade here, it's always the sign of a good arcade conversion when they inherit the issues of the arcade. One of which is that it was always a bit dull because I think so many games have mm-hmm. come along since that have kind of egged that pudding. That when you go back to the original pudding with no eggs, 
Um, it's not as it's not as eggy, <laughs> which makes complete the contextual lack, sense, the of lack course. Of pack, lack of pack eggs. It is, and I think so. This is, I think, this is a good version of an early arcade converted really well. The issue with is it's just not very interesting. It's a bit late in the day. Yes, it's interesting in terms of the you know it looks like the arcade, but it's just early days, really, isn't it? That was 1984. Now it's 1984. So years have gone by. A lot of games have gone under the bridge. A lot of water's gone under the bridge in terms of game logic, game design. Mm-hmm graphics and all that kind of stuff so it just it actually looks a bit dated um it does play okay though it plays like the arcade albeit a little bit slower and i suppose it remains fun ish it is difficult in places of course but in the same way that the arcade was um you have to waggle the joystick in this because when you get your when you jump in the air when you've got your boots you can sort of float and so yeah i think i'm not sure if you can do that anyway but anyway you have to waggle and it sort of floats you down and there's there's some stuff like that i didn't get so far into it i read a couple of um, comments on some other forums, Lemon sixty four, that said that some eventually you you get to a point when you can't actually make it over the pools of water. You have to jump over like that because they're too long and you don't have enough. <laughs> so maybe that's true. I don't know. I didn't get to that point, but it's a solid conversion. It's just very late to the party. It's a conversion of a granddaddy of a game. We we had something like this before with another game where it was kind of an old the Mario games. I think one of those sort of early Mario arcade type games. Yeah, and um, where it was the platform. We yeah. I mean, it's just you know they were converted. It sort of felt like it was late to the party a bit. The equivalent probably would be Xevious. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it is full price, which is a lot for this. And you think, and because if you bought this, and then I think it's only a few months before Genesis comes out, and you're going to be like, what? Or you may have played Mar- the Mario games on something else and gone, what is this? I think it, it looked part, plays the part. It's okay. It's just a little bit, it's like the arcade, but a little bit dry. And, and the arcade has that problem too. It's just old, I think, really. Mm. What about you? Yeah, pretty much the same. This is a... If we take his is a nuts and bolts conversion, it's a very good conversion of the arcade game. It is lacking. It's missing half the levels. Um, so I think there's I think there's only four in this four four main levels. So four games. That's to the right. End. Yeah. I think I think there's eight in the arcade. Um, and there's a few of the power ups are missing as well, such as you can't push the like you can't push the the fire hydrants to get the blue hat and things like that. There's there's stuff missing. So there are bits and bobs that are missing. Yeah, helmet, here. don't you? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it allows you to sort of take when they're throwing the stuff out the windows. You can you can basically hit it on your head. It don't matter. Um, hit, no one wants to hit Pac-Man's helmet. It's painful for him. <laughs> absolutely. Where is it? That's the thing I would ask. Well, he's got packed children, so he's got. He's, all he uses his head. Which I suppose that's helmet, I guess, isn't it? Um, anyway. <laughs> Again. Move on. There's another t-shirt. Move on. <laughs> Absolutely. You pack head. Um again, a very it's a better it's a very important game though. As it influenced, as you said, loads of other stuff. And there's elements you can see elements in Wonder Boy, Ghost and Goblins, Super Mario Brothers in this. I mean the 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 floating ghost in the little sort of hover things, they're like the flying pigs in Ghost and Goblins, almost identical. Oh yeah, Ghosts and Goblins borrows heavily from this. And the way you progress from like the graveyard that could be the town into the woods, it's very similar, you know, thematically yeah, yeah. and jumping and over the pools and things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's loads of that in this. But you know, that said, I don't think I was. I was never a massive fan of this in the arcade. Um, no, me neither. And, and that was, and what the reason for that was 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 that bounce pad sequence, which I could never successfully master. Never. I seem to remember it having a joystick. So I seem to remember having to hit it to the sides. Maybe that was later versions of the arcade release. Maybe that I saw. it came out with buttons originally. Um, yeah, it did. Um, but I'm pretty sure there was a version I used to play that had a joystick that you had to tap to the side very quickly. But I can never seem to make it. Make probably because the you can't be. Pa- you can't tap Pac-Man's joystick to the side. 
<laughs> not fast enough for to get him across and not 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 let him get wet. <laughs> don't just don't be touching Pac-Man's joystick or his head. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there's nothing else to touch on him. He's <laughs> all head. Otherwise you'll end up, you'll end you'll end up with packages on your hands and that's yeah. awful. Awful. Yeah, exactly. That's not good. Anyway, I did manage to get over the uh, thing, but I had told the pad I was using it in an odd way. But I got it's all right. It's I had a bit of fun with this. It's okay. It's like I said, it's not yeah. one of my favourite arcades, but you can see why this would convert, as you've rightly said, to the C64 quite easily. Simple sprites, sp- simple sprites, scrolling and jumping. It's almost made for the system. To its credit, though, I mean, we could say that about some of the other arcades that we think that should convert quite well. Ah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't always work out that way, it does it? Work. Gunsmoke was 1985, as we saw last week, and uh, oh, that didn't, God, that no, didn't convert that. very well. So to its credit, this really does a very good job of approximating the arcade. And I tell you what, the front end is, 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 you know, it's essentially the same. It's identical, isn't it? Yeah. Complete with the the high scores scrolling across. Got the same font, the same attract mode. It's really, that's really impressive, that front end. Because at first I was like, where's the music? And I checked, oh, there isn't any. But like, this is like looking at the arcade. It is a bit easier though. The flying saucer ghosts that don't hit the floor. So you can just run along. Yeah, you can just run under underneath them, yeah. Da, 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 Same da, with da, the pogo da. stick thing, whatever they are. Yeah, there's only a couple of them that actually bounce to the floor, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So a lot of it, you can just leg it past, which is, we found that in the level three of Ghosts and Goblins as well, didn't we, on the bridge one, I think it we was. We did. So the C64 version seemed to sometimes just make themselves very easy, which obviously negates the arcade heritage a bit when, you know, so I don't know. We, we moan about games being too hard and then we moan about games being too easy. We are never happy. I can just say that. No. Um, but anyway, it's, it's a good conversion of a influential and important arcade game, but was never one of my favorites. And I didn't find this sort of... It, I, this is all right. It's okay. It's Pac-Land. It's a good version of Pac-Land for the home systems. If you like Pac-Land, then... You'd be in pack heaven, but if you didn't, then you'd be in pack hell. <laughs> pack hell. Do you know? Am I the only person that finds the whole idea of a little community of pack people quite weird? Because they're they're in a town. Yeah, They've just... got their own town. When did that happen? When did they break out of the maze? It's in uh, the cartoons. To freedom. Because this is obviously based on the cartoons, isn't it? I know, but when did they? The idea of Pac Man and Pac Mrs. Pac Man procreating to create pack children. What, what do they feed them? Do they nappies? <laughs> What's going on? It's just weird. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm all for it. You know what? Live and let live, I say. If they want to live in their own little town, it's all cool. Just don't drink the Kool-Aid when you're there. Don't drink the Pac-Aid. No, that'd be all bad. (laughs) It's just strange. Strange. Well, that's what they did, didn't it? They they familyfied them in the US because that's this isn't this isn't you know the original one. It was about you know being trapped inside a dark maze. It's a techno game. Being trapped inside a dark maze, popping pills. (laughs) Eating, eating stuff being chased by hallucinations so like, exactly and then so that's the you know, that's the original this is you know then they take that and make it family fun okay fair yeah. enough if that's what so you they mean. can put it on front of cereal boxes and stuff like that as they did yeah so, and then they would have done yeah then yeah but um even in a board you know, game of pac-man didn't they a pac-man board game pac-man itself was you know that must have been that is pac-man or space invaders probably the most ripped off home computer game ever i think between that donkey kong and pac-man i think yeah i think you're right I think Donkey Kong's probably a bit more complicated, but Pac-Man is just a single-screen maze, isn't it? There's nothing else to do. Yeah. If you think of all the oh, crap versions, Puck, Puck Man, Muncher, you know, all those yeah. crappy variants you saw. Yeah. Um, Gobble Man. <laughs> you had to go there. <laughs> Maisy Dave. Gobbler. There actually was a game called Gobbler. <laughs> Gob- there is a Gobbler. There is Gobbler, yeah. Gobbler. 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 Um, yep, yep. <laughs> they recorded it in Gobbly. <laughs> Ball in maze, and that's probably the uh, one. <laughs> That'd be the BBC version. <laughs> that's the BBC version. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> the Acorn Electric. Come around for a game of ball in maze. Okay, <laughs> maze ball. 
Base balls, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's made of corn. That'd be Plock That's... Man, wouldn't it? Be, they, put, they just added the word, sort of made everything into a clock. Plock Man. It's like Pac-Man, but it's Plock. It's a Plock. Oh, right, okay. What's that? Plock, don't you know? It's Plock, don't you know? There we go. Yeah, Plock Man. <laughs> plock Man. <laughs> Let's move on quickly. <laughs> Let's leave Pac-Land behind. It is a strange place yes. full of Pac people. Yes, See you later, Pac-Land. <laughs> See you, yeah. bye. We've got to go. So long, Stinktown. <laughs> Absolutely. We died on the way back to our home planet and we're never seen again. <laughs> let's move into our next one, for God's sake. Well, let's not, actually. Let's just stay in Pac-Land because the next one's horrible. Let's move along. And this time, I um, I was going to sing the Lady Gaga song, I Am Titanium, but I can't approximate her voice. <laughs> not even, so I'm not going to go. Is that Lady, I never realised that was Lady Gaga, but all right. I don't titanium. Know. I'm pretty sure it's Lady Gaga. Yeah. I Am Titanium. I wouldn't know. I stopped listening to music. I stopped listening to modern music about <laughs> In 1989. <laughs> yeah, I just stopped. I, don't, I try not to listen to anything yeah, about bass metals and things. Fair enough. So anyway, this is Tanium. Tanium. I still think that sounds like the bit, you know, smelly bridge <laughs> you taint <laughs> the taint the taintium oh. yeah the oh. taintium <laughs> no anyway another week another shmup appears and this time it's a left to right budget variant from the creator no less of warhawk michael Ware, otherwise known as flash one of your friends your old s express buddies that is correct and released by players this is indeed the follow-up to Warhawk, and Warhawk had a few decent things going for it, namely the music. The music, <laughs> I'll just say that again, it had the music, <laughs> it had a bit of pace, and a general feel of it. It was okay, you know, it was quite a fast vertical shoot-up. It was um, all so right. Yeah, so hopefully that has been replicated here. The story in this is that after your victory in Warhawk, you had retired for a life of quiet reflection and playing games. But the call of combat could not be resisted long, and when the Intergalactic Federation called for your help, you were keen to get back in there. Tanium the second most strategically important planet, this side of the San Valgrani Rift, second most. Why not just write the most? <laughs> you made this up. Why make it the second most? Anyway, I don't know. It's been captured by the enemies, and it's your job to fly your Quariad-class stealth fighter over the planet, destroying as many enemy ships as possible. Now, I can see a problem in that sentence, because there isn't the purpose of a stealth fighter to en not engage in combat. Yeah, this is how not to be seen. <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> stealth fighter just go and kill everything but i'm in a stealth fighter do it anyway. very quietly real quiet and leave it there <laughs> do it duissimo <laughs> anyway that's the plot go shoot stuff that comes from the right uh, and last as long as you can so upon loading the first thing you'll notice is the music or lack thereof where warhawk had the awesome hubbard tune which really lifted that game this is nothing just the empty vacuum of space there's a lot of text yeah, and scrolling messages promising more games from proteus which is who Michael Ware has now created a you know team for, but I don't remember any further games coming from them. Maybe they did, I don't know. Anyway, the game itself is very reminiscent of Delta, and when I say reminiscent, I mean it's budget Delta in every way you could imagine, really. The craft you, you mean fly it's is Belter? More... <laughs> budget Delta, Belter. This ain't no Belter, I can tell you that. <laughs> Belter? Belter? <laughs> <laughs> should, should we send out our fighters? No, no, no. Bombing our landing base is just the way they say hello. <laughs> Possibly a Tanian welcoming committee. <laughs> Tanian. You always say that, Belter. <laughs> oh, got a right pain in me. What tanium. is it with you and these welcoming committees? <laughs> Belter? Belter. I don't think it is a welcoming committee. I think we should put the alarms on. <laughs> no, no, no. That would just send out the wrong signal. Anyway. Belter? Belter? Belter. Belter. <laughs> 
The craft you fly is more in the mold of Nemesis, though, being flat, and a series of waves of enemies will fly in. You have to kill them or get past them to survive. So it's a, it's a left to right Delta variant, Nemesis variant, blah, blah, blah. The problem here is that power-ups and this is where the problem is, um, are only giving for killing a whole wave of enemies. So, And when this game starts, you are too slow and too underpowered to reliably kill any of the waves that are coming in. So what that leads to is a situation where in most games, you reach the harder, uh, where most times you play this, you reach the harder enemies woefully underpowered. The starting state of the ship is very slow, and you only have one bullet on screen at a time, so missing a shot as the enemies come in, and they move at angles, they move fast, it's very easy to miss, uh, means you've got to wait until it travels all the way across the screen before firing another. This is annoying. The power-ups you can get, you can get what you can collect, they're a fire boost, which incrementally gives you one more bullet on screen. Speed up, which incrementally makes you faster. Shield, lasers, and something called robber, which I have no idea what that did. Um, I did collect it once, and I don't know what it did. The formations of enemies are tricky to shoot down at the start. They move fast, and some of them take multiple shots, which you just do not have at your disposal. Um, I never understand why they don't let you fire as much as you can at the start and make the upgrade to your weapons being making them cause more damage. You know, what do I know? You know, that seems more sensible. Make them take a couple of shots with the base <laughs> base bullet, but you know, but then make them more powerful. Yeah, not it makes hard a to lot of sense to me. Let me fire as fast as I can hit the damn button. And this also does the ultimate crime of stripping you of all power-ups when you lose one of your three lives, meaning that progression is absolutely impossible if you are further into the game due to the speed and movement of the enemies. And when I say strips you everything, you're back to that base speed, base bullet, everything. It's all gone. And there's no way it doesn't sort of give you a a moment to get them back. It just keeps throwing the harder enemies at you. It's just a nightmare. This is badly designed on all fronts. The sprites are kind of reminiscent. The enemy sprites are reminiscent of those in Warhawk. Um, and some of the joined together ships and enemies that appear, they're kind of okay. They're kind of a, a nice way of doing it, but and they move fast. But uh, the scrolling's smooth enough, I guess, but the lack of a soundtrack in any form and the rather weak sound effects make this a lifeless and ultimately boring and frustrating affair. The problem with this is that with some simple tweaks, this could have been pretty good as the basics are there. It's fairly well programmed and it's competent there's no bugs but it's just badly designed it's badly tuned it says in the scrolling message this was made over a couple of months and at the weekends and it shows because with a bit more time and testing there is a base here there's a platform here that could have led to a decent blaster as it is this is one of the poorer efforts in the delta nemesis ripoffs we have seen on the machine and that's what i think anyway what about you yeah i mean i i, I always have a little special place in my heart for fash Obviously, because he's a, firstly because he's a genuinely lovely guy, he really is, and secondly because yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously Nothing I know him. I know him from back in the day from the old S Express days, and his demos that he did for S Express, some of them anyway, are in CSDB. Go and look them up. Good fun. He is a good coder, and a, and and he has and is a competent designer. Warhawk is evidence of that to some extent. Tanium it is just a side-scrolling version of Warhawk, really, isn't it? It's all more Delta, I suppose. And like you say, just crazy fast enemies and you being underpowered means that you know equals insane di- difficulty levels and annoying frustration you know there's no way around that. that's mm-hmm. what it is yep and I, you know i agree with you this there is good programming here and the graphics do have a kind of a nice nemesis delta vibe i suppose and it is budget i suppose it's those are the things that you know the positives you know is cheap but it is derivative they've played loads of these kind of games and really to make them good you've got to give the player the affordance they need as you've you know very well described and sort of be sonically and graphically impressive. There's got to be something about it to hook you in, mm-hmm. and it doesn't. It just lack. It's just lacking, uh, and so it's not doing anything special enough to warrant really it being memorable in any way. Aside from anything else, it gave me a bloody headache trying to read that scroll text anyway because it was so fast. It's good, too fast the scrolling it is on that <laughs> opening page. Too fast, I say. Um, it's just difficult to maintain yourself in that game because sooner or later you'll die and then you're done. So yes, I guess yeah. for two pound at least it was cheap. 
I mean, that's my take on it. It's cheap. I didn't, I, I didn't hate it, but I, I would, I would never have played it once you, if you had Delta at this point, and you, you'd still be trying to get through that. <laughs> so you're not going to see now. No one's going to start, or maybe Nemesis. But I kind of got hooked a bit on Nemesis and games like that by this point. And so really, these kind of cheaper imitations, I didn't really have much time for them just because I'd, I'd already played other games that were better. So there you go. Yeah, it got thirty nine percent, which. For its budget price, probably okay, I guess. I think, I think that's I think what carried high. it to that. Yeah, I think yeah, it's a bit high I'd myself. Agree. In terms, if it wasn't budget, it's nowhere near getting that. But and just the a sad thing is with this, the simple tweaks as you've described that would have really made this a really good budget shooter. It wouldn't have taken much, would it? Just a few little no. little tweaks, little simple lines intertwining would have sorted it out. <laughs> simple, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I will tell you something that is a bit odd is that. Flash is actually a good music composer. He's, he composed some really good music back in back in the day. So why he didn't do music for this, I don't know. Maybe he just wasn't doing it around then. Maybe he just he's still didn't doing have time now in games. Now he did Warhawk, I think, for the um, for one of the handheld systems. Yeah, and I think yeah. he's doing and doing. You know, he's still doing stuff. You know, he's a, he's a clever guy. So I guess he just put rushed this one out. He must have must have been all that. You know, I know there's a lot going on in Norwich, so he must have been you know very busy at the time. He's based that well, Norwich, I was. I can only assume. It's maybe it's just the players' label because the players' label is not exactly renowned with its quality, is it? So well, maybe they just they, maybe they just gave like a deadline it. and said we want it by this point. And as he was yeah. working, and he could only make this at the weekend, it shows. It shows like this was a, yeah. essentially this is eight weekends worth of coding and no yeah, playtesting. There's no way you would get this through, no whatsoever. No, absolutely. There we go. That's Tanium. Dinks like your taint. Um, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on to the next one. And this is a more hairy one to move on to. Isn't Graham, it? it's time to release your inner wolf man. The wolf man is here. This is created by Rod Pike, of course. It's Rod Pike. Mm-hmm. So he just spent his entire early career just reinventing gore games, didn't he? Graphics here are by Jared Derrett. Um, and it's a CR- is it CRL? CRL, isn't it? I think they It is know, CRL, yes. Yeah. And it was obviously it was in the trilogy, isn't it? So Dracula, Frankenstein, and Wolfman. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the one. And they were all given ratings by the BBFC, classically really, because they're so gory and horrific. Gore and horrific. You know, I read it, I read into this a bit. There's a little bit about a second variation of Wolfman, um, mm. which and I'm not sure. And it was interesting on the games that weren't actually about that, which is about um, the fact that and there's a little note in there, footnote in there, which says that um, they had to sort of fight to get rated by the BBFC because the BBFC by this point were going, but it's not really that gory. <laughs> and they were like, it's, look at that, that's really gory. That is, the woman's got a throat ripped out and everything. And they're like, well, it, but it's more like cartoon animation, it isn't it? No, it's not. <laughs> so they had to, they, they were, the plan was to lay loads of more animated stuff, but they obviously didn't have the, the memory or whatever to do that. So they just ended up with sort of blood effects, you know, to some extent. It's not, it doesn't matter really. So this mm-hmm. is in the same vein as those games, the same as game Dracula and Wolfman. So it's a text adventure with interspersed with gory bits. And yep. it's, it follows in the exact same pattern as those. So there's three three parts to the game. Obviously, the first part and the third part, you play as Wolf, the Wolfman, the man who becomes a wolf. And in the second part, you play as his fiance, I believe. Yeah, it's Nadia. Um, it's not. I think she's just Nadia. a love interest, or she's just second character. Yeah. So I'm not going to. I won't read all of the instructions because there's quite a lot. But I will just go over the the part one, the Wolfman, the Gathering of Knowledge. 
because they're just from the instruction manuals. There's just three little pages of stories that get you into the mood. I want to get you into the mood of this game, Adrian. It's very important. Do it. On a gloomy and overcast morning, a poor man awakes in his hovel to the sounds of a commotion outside. That's you, that is. The villagers are in a frenzy of anger, aroused by the brutal slaying of the mayor's daughter. Some say that it was the work of the devil's disciple, the werewolf, and <laughs> that left her half naked with her throat ripped out. Goodness. The poor man feels confused and frightened. Suddenly he notices that his hands and clothes are covered in blood and a vision of half-remembered horror flicks through his mind. His blood chills as the memory of a ghostly howling echoes round his brain. The realisation <laughs> that he is different from other men sets him on a trail of learning. A gathering of knowledge about what he is and trying to avoid the pitfalls that man and nature set for him along the way. Nor must he kill without reason again, or the battle for his soul could be lost. His travels take him to a strange land where he encounters temptations of the flesh, which are almost irresistible. But resist he must, if he is to see the beautiful Nadia again. During his journey, he meets some adversaries who are truly formidable. Only the greatest courage and cunning will let him prevail over the battle with a creature so loathsome that it cannot be described here. What a cop-out. Suffice to say that it is only a behemoth of awesome appearance and strength, and only those of strong disposition should attempt to do battle with the maggot-infested abomination. God. Wow. Wow. Kind of goes a bit, uh, goes a bit Garth Marenghi at the end there, doesn't it? Well, that's what I'm thinking <laughs> of putting in for my. Uh, that's my last trip advisor review, actually. So <laughs> maggots. And I just yeah maggots. maggots. So and I won't read part two and part three, but the 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 story continues in the same vein. Part two is called the girl, and you begin as Nadia, and you've got to you know do adventurous stuff, and then the third part is called the monastery of Fai Shan. Mm. where you were with, I think you're with Nadia at this point, and you've got to travel and basically try and, you know, exist and find a cure, I think. I'm not sure exactly. I didn't get that far into it. I didn't get to part three, I have to say. So it's it, it's the usual text-based adventure stuff with the usual text-based adventure stuff in the vein of these sort of games in here. So obviously you start in the first part, you start in your, you know, you are in a room, there is a chest in the corner and there's a, you know, a bed and you, you're covered in bloody robes and don't go outside because you get killed, you know until you figure mm-hmm. out that you've got to burn your robes. And the amount of times I, I went out, I dropped my whatever it was I was wearing that was covered in blood, went outside, thought, oh, I didn't put the bloody tunic on. So I went, just ran out the house naked with covered <laughs> in bloody blood. Like, you're you? a lycanthrope. Of course they did. <laughs> Why did they like, kill they you? Because they stood in, they stood over the mayor's daughter who's had her throat ripped out and covered in blood. And you turned up, I, I ran, out the, ran out of the room naked, covered in blood. They're like, you did it. It was you. A man, because they say in the description, a man of your height was seen. Like, you can't just go around judging criminals by their height. You look well, about the height of a murderer. But I was covered in blood. In all fairness, think, yeah, I, I get, covered in blood away. and naked. Well, even then, if you put the tunic on and go outside, but you've got them got to wash. Make sure you wash your hands. Yeah, wash, and wash your hands your face. and wash your face. Yeah, yeah. And then burn the burn the whatever it is you have on. Before I can't remember the name of it now, but you have the to burn that because if you have to burn the, the duvet, you got to burn. I thought I was going to say duvet, but burn your duvet because if you don't, they'll go in. The, they'll go in because you drop it. They go into your room and find it. That's the most northern <laughs> modern pronunciation of duvet. <laughs> duvet. Burn your duvet. Yeah. You got burn your duvet. Burn your duvet. Burn your duvet. Burn your duvet. Wake up in a duvet covered in blood. Anyway, that's so that's and so that this is the way the game goes. Now, so this is it's a standard text adventure, really. Obviously, with with gory graphics, and the gory graphics are as they were in Dracula and Frankenstein. Just you know, images of horror. You no know, ah, horrible images that turn up every now and again in the narrative. Not as often as the other games. I don't think. I don't think there's as many gory images in this. So no, I had trouble no. encountering them at the start. You know, I, I, even though I died sixty times at the beginning, which by the way I'll come back to that. Um, um, I didn't encounter any really gory bits till quite a way in. Anyway, apparently this game was completely produced using something called Gilsoft's Professional Adventure Writer, which was a, 
as a tool, a bit like the Sumo construction kit for the Commodore 64. I didn't even know that existed. I thought it was a graphic adventure creator, but maybe not. No, it's called Gilsoft's Professional Adventure Creator. And uh, you can even go on and, and download Pack. that. And, you I mean, know, this was created adventures. with Pack from Pack Slam. Yes. Was it created in Pack Town? <laughs> The no, it's the professional adventure writer. It's the poor. It's the poor. Oh, it's the poor. Anyway, so again, so it's a text adventure with gory bits. All right. Apparently, like I said, they have to they have to fight to get a rating for this because the BBC are like, well, no. Anyway, they did. So it's the three-part horror trilogy. And again, so we're in three parts, everything else. Now, this is the usual blend of stuff with the same stupid issues that they all suffer from. Um, namely, some of the commands are obtuse. Like, for example, insert key. All right. Don't. So you insert a key. But then to turn the key, you don't turn the key, you push the key. Stupid, that, that is. is. stupid. So, and if you don't do it in the right way, obviously, you know, the foulness of devilry comes you and you whatever, you're going to end up dead. There's one point in this game where you have to wait six times oh, in a there? row. Oh, God. Yep. Now, I'll tell you, why that's, tell you why that's a problem in this. So firstly, if you play the beginning of this game, and like I've already described, if you, if you go out of your room and you haven't done all of those things, you're dead. That's it. The game ends. Then you have to start again. So really, this is not so much an adventure as a test of your memory to do things. Yeah, yeah. So I'm it's sure just a sequence. Yeah. So it's, yeah. However, if you've got to wait six times, very man, to, to get to that point, you're about three quarters of the way through the first level. If you don't do that six times, you're dead. You die at that point. So you go all the way back to the start. So eventually you'll figure out that you need to enter wait six times. You can't do it seven times because you're dead. So it's exactly six times. Now, the problem is there that means you're going to have to at least fail this game six times to figure that out. How yep. boring and stupid is that? There's no yep. hints. There's no, way, there's no way this is going to say, you. have you tried waiting a further time? And waiting is the stupidest command in an adventure ever. Yes, it is. We've said um, this before and this, about every the way, single one this, of these games. And this wait point is you've got to wait for a guy to walk past so you don't savagely murder him. So the answer to not killing someone in this game when you're turning into a werewolf is to just go, hang on, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, go, go, go past, go past, go past, wait, wait. I'm okay now. <laughs> stupid, that. Really stupid. Yeah. Yep. This is mostly white text on a brown background. That's unpleasant, isn't it? Is it white? Brown backgrounds. Grey, but... No, it's brown. Brown. It's, no, brown, brown background. I thought, it, I thought it was grey text. Look grey on my screen. No, it's white. Yeah, white, white text. I've, I've commented on that. Awful. Brown. So <laughs> occasionally, when you go wolf, it goes black. It goes black and white. So that's how you know you're in wolf mode, because it's you know the screen goes jet black, heartless black, like your soul. You'll make a bunch of meaningless meaningless mistakes in this game over and over again as you progress because it's trial and error here. That is trial and error. Until you figure out that you need six weights, you're going to be endlessly repeating that bit, which is really, really frustrating. And there's loads of that in this, all the way through these bits like that. Graphics such as they are, of course, they're gory in the way that they are in this, but it's pixelated gore. Um, So it's not really gory. It's just red pixels, you know, in the right places. And I guess it's gruesome, but I don't know. It's pretty tight old format for this. And I don't know. Oh, the, I just felt you know, the whimsy of it all. Oh, the Wolfman. <laughs> no, I got. I couldn't. Silly things. Open, open chest. No, I don't want to do that. There is a drawer. Pull drawer. You pull the drawer open. It's like, oh, just stupid. <laughs> it's a chest. Is it drawer? What is it? Just now. I just found that. I didn't find there was as much. I don't know. There was something not quite as. The do care and attention wasn't. Didn't feel like it was there for me with this. It just felt. It felt like he did it. They did it with very little care because the descriptions are very, very boring. They're very quick. Um, you can, you know, if you know the way through, you can race through the levels really easily. Very, there's not much to them, and the puzzles are stupid. There's no puzzles as such. You just got to remember to do things in the right order before you leave one location, or you're dead. Um, I didn't like this. I found it really, really naff, actually. Um, and it made me reflect on all the others. I found there was some interest in Dracula. I think because I like the character of Dracula. Frankenstein was stupid. 
when he was that really dumb version of Frankenstein's. That was fun for a while. This is just just naff. Naff, naff, naff. There's not even the fun of adding up trees or anything like that. And no, it just it's all naff. No, not for me. This I didn't enjoy it, and I think it was a I think it was a adventure too far actually. And they're going to do the mummy next. What comes, you know? I don't know. Not for me. This you? Um, I don't think I'm going to down it as you probably for the reasons why you probably liked it. It's more supernatural wandering from Rod Pike as the cursed wolf man. Once again, we've got three parts to play through. Uh, and like you said, this time we wait to not kill people instead of hiding from bears. That wait command is stupid. We've seen it in every single one of his games. And he, it ruins he's not it. Learn. It's stupid. It's because it's there's no way of knowing. You just end up waiting in places. So do I wait here? I can't figure out what to do. Um, I did feel this was a bit more coherent, a bit more interesting. I don't know. Um, because it's not as because it's not as overly wordy, um, which I think might come from the fact that this is probably not based on a classic literary piece. So it might be that Dracula and Frankenstein yeah, were taking uh pointers from Mary Shelley and Bram Stoker's original. So there was a lot more for him to draw upon for instead in you know in, in the way of descriptions and places and things like that. This is kind of a bit more Feels like he's made yeah. it up. I'm not sure if the if feels there, like it was more like the Hammer version of Wolfman. Yeah, no, I, think, I don't really. know. Yeah, so, so it feels like he's written it, and then obviously he's not got any kind of inspiration for that. So that's why. So for me, that was a good thing because I got bored shitless reading those some of those descriptions in Dracula and stuff. It went on forever, but that's just me, I guess. I think the, um, the choice of colors in the first part is horrible, though. White text. I thought it was great, but it's white on a Commodore Brown. Commodore Brown. It's unpleasant, you know, isn't it? That it's just, it's just, just nasty. no. Nothing. This does not say Wolfman. It's not a spooky horror, but white on brown. Like that's not horrible. What are you doing? It's almost a confusing toast request. If you ask for that in a restaurant, they'd be like, "What do you mean?" Yeah, you, you can't have that. <laughs> I just want the yolks removed from my eggs, so I've got white on brown. I'd like some toast, please. White on brown. That don't make sense. Do you want white bread or brown bread? What do you want? I want white white on brown. brown. Make it happen. Get out my restaurant. Never darken my door again with your white on brown. Yes, this is a Michelin star restaurant. We don't do toast. Now get out. Absolutely. We do heated bread now. Off you go. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, we do. We do hot bowl. <laughs> bread uh, a la flambe. <laughs> yeah, I, the story's quite interesting. I like the second part. I thought quite like that second part. Switching to perspective, of Nadia, um, and sort of allowing, trying to do sort of love story, sort of trying to do a bit something different, which you don't get in the others. That was an, yeah, an interesting take enough, on, a, on an adventure. I didn't actually mind that. And the, the whole point of like the whole point of that second point is like essentially just trying to get him not to kill you, which is quite an interesting take. Yeah, and an idea. Yeah. Um, and the whole point is, you know, trying to, re, you know, rescind the curse, get rid of the curse and have a nice, happy ending. And I guess that's a bit nicer than we've had some ways before. I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, it's, they're all, none of them are the best of the three. They're all, they're all what they are. It's still frustrating and dull uh, because adventure games are not for me. Um, I appreciate the solutions to some problems more a bit more obvious sometimes. And again, they were all over the place at others. You know, well, it's just strange. Push key, as you said, is stupid. I just wish, like in a lot of these, though, in a lot of these Rod Pike ones, I wish you didn't have to examine every object all the time to get more information on it. Should just tell you, just there. Yeah. You know, yeah it's you like, do. oh, you're in a room. There is something like, right, okay. Uh, and then you go, oh, examine desk. Oh, there was loads of stuff on the desk. <laughs> I really should have told you this before. It's like, why didn't you? <laughs> oh, you meant you meant what's in the room. Oh, sorry. <laughs> why didn't you? you? Oh, yeah, there's papers. Describe, there's describe everything in the room, but what you need. Yeah, I thought you meant that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that's really annoying. It's like if I saw nothing else in the room apart from a desk and loads of stuff on it, I wouldn't go, I'm taking no notice of that until I examine the desk. Then I would examine the desk and see it all, like some clarification from my eyes, like cataracts had been lifted. Oh, there's all this stuff. Yes. 
It is, so, yeah. There's a chest in the corner. Wait a minute, there's a drawer in that. Yeah. No, you don't find that until you, you know, look at chest. Oh, look, drawer. Yeah. <laughs> should say there's a chest with a drawer in it. Okay, pull get, open and drawer. I, and I spent ages trying to pull the mirror off the wall. I don't know why. I was like, pull mirror, take Probably. mirror, <laughs> hit mirror, smash mirror. Yeah. No. I think my um, my uh, sort of uh, bit of adventuring in this week's Discord was probably better than this, but there you go. Um, <laughs> True. <laughs> give, give egg to the dog. Anyway, yeah, I'm just glad, though, because we said we would do all three of these. We've done them now. That's our adventuring done. You know, we're not, we've got no more adventuring in that. front of us. So our text adventures are done. So if you were hoping we cover some more, we're not going <laughs> to. No, because you just no. don't like them. They're boring. I'm sorry. I find it really dull. I did back then. Drop and I adventure do now. games in bin. Burn <laughs> adventure games. I don't understand. <laughs> Set fire to adventure you can't games. Do I, that here. I don't understand. <laughs> you don't what have did a this match. Keep saying it. Kept saying um, I don't want to do that. It kept yeah, saying you, in this one. I don't want to do that. You don't. You don't have a match. Do. I do. I just haven't lit it. <laughs> yes, your matches are damp. Oh, I shouldn't have <laughs> put me my sock in the boat. Oh well, back to the beginning. Back to the beginning, wait six times. <laughs> Burn doublet. <laughs> Burn duvet. I don't have one of those. You do. <laughs> you do. I picked it up. I'm wearing it. <laughs> I'm wearing my doublet. A bloody stupid game. Doublet. Anyway, there you go. That's Wolfman. Heavy of eyebrow in that loading screen as well. Really heavy oh, of God, eyebrow. It just, yeah. It's hammer. Yeah. It's the hammer horror version. Isn't it? it is, yeah. There we go. Let's move on. We've got one more game left this part and we'll get into that. That is Corporation. Corporation, full price. This is full price. Graham, it is 30, 60, sorry, 3026 AD. Countries wow. no longer exist. National identity is a thing lost to the past. All that remains are the corporations. All that exist are the corporations. Your identity, your allegiance is to your corporation. Employment is all. Success in the corporation is all. Success leads to life. A good credit rating. That made me laugh loads. And your standing in the corporation. Success leads to promotion, security, better credit rating, and happiness. Failure leads to termination of employment and destitution. Success and is a terrible necessary. Terrible credit rating. I know, yeah, and a ter- yeah, absolutely. It'll really go down low. Uh, clear, your clear score will be very, very dark. Success is necessary by any means possible. There we go. That's the world we find ourselves in, in corporation. You are a commander of a deep space robotic mining team, and your corporation has intercepted data that shows an asteroid is rich, rich in much-needed resources, and especially Minorthian crystals. Don't ask. Don't ask. The asteroid is on a collision course. Need some of them. We all do. The asteroid is on a collision course with a sterile moon. (laughs) I don't know why it's sterile. No life. No life, I guess, yeah. And we'll be obliterated in 24 hours. You have the task of mining as much Minorthian crystal as possible before the impact. That sounds like a drug, doesn't it? Minorthian crystal. It's like crystal meth. Yeah, it is. That's um, principally what you're doing. Yeah, you've, you've also been told that a rival corporation is on its way to the asteroid as well. You have a quota to reach, and failure, as noted, is not an option. Success, by any means, possible. That's our setup for this game. This is from Activision. Uh, it was designed by Focus, who did Nightmare before this. So, mm-hmm. Sees you playing either single player against a computer or in two player against another person. 
when this loads up, there's a decent bit of music. The first thing you hear is by Adam Gilmore or Gizmo. He seems to have done loads of music and I've never heard of him. Never ever. Which Yeah, uh, he's done quite a bit. Yeah, I looked on Lemon and there's loads and loads and loads of uh, credits for him, but it's never crossed my transom. And the front end of this uh, does a very uh, gives a very pleasing first impression. You've got some some options, basically five options. So you can read the backstory, which we've just gone through before, the point of your mission, which we've kind of gone through. You can even look through the stats of the asteroid that you're heading towards, which is quite interesting, um, and the different vehicles you will have at your disposal throughout the game. Uh, those are the truck, which is used to transport minerals, the cloaking device, I don't know why that's second, which can hide vehicles nearby, the rocket launcher, which can launch rockets, there's the mining unit, the survey craft, and the gun deck, which is another attacking craft. And all of these come in either solar-powered or fusion-powered variants. Uh, the difference being that solar-powered ones will not run when, on, the, when the, uh, on the dark side of the asteroid, so when it sort of is not facing the sun. <clears throat> so they won't run then, uh, whereas fusion-powered ones will do. They'll run all the time, but they cost more money uh, because there's a sort of day-night cycle in the game so you've got to be aware of that if you use the cheaper solar variants they won't work as the darkness sweeps around the asteroid and we'll get to how that works in a little bit once you've looked over all this you start the game and the first thing you need to do is enter your name uh like you just call yourself whatever um obviously i was calibos of the corporation because it has to be done uh, the game also offers codes to start a previously played game to sort of skip levels. So if you've completed one level, uh, you can skip to the next. It gives you a code so you can uh, progress. You don't have to keep doing the same thing over time. That is a good thing. If you're just starting, though, you can pick the length of time between 24 hours and 12 hours by pushing either one or two. Um, and then it gives you a number of credits to spend on vehicles. Um, and as I said, you can buy solar or fusion-powered ones until your cash runs out. You just basically keeps buying stuff. So you can buy any of those six vehicles depending on what you want. So you can buy survey machines, you can buy mining machines, you can buy trucks, gun emplacements, cloaking device, gun uh, platforms, whatever, and rocket launchers. Once you've sorted that out, you basically press OK because uh, the player two is doing the same thing. So you've got two, the, the screen is kind of split down the middle. Um, one side is your your menu system and the other is the other, the player two or the computer's menu. So you're both doing this at the same time, buying all this stuff. Once done, you press continue and you load into the main game. There's a bit of loading. Um, not too much. You say it's not OPAD. No, it's, it's okay. And then you land on the asteroid. This is a, like a, a view, a sort of 3D view, sort of looking off into the distance. It slowly, slowly, slowly um, sort of lands on the asteroid. That's quite a nice little touch. It's all right. Looks quite nice. Uh, it's all right to this. Um, once you've landed, though, um, the the game continues with its split screen view, um, and you uh, control if you're player one, you control the left hand side of the screen, um, and you uh, basically the game is split into the view. You've got two grids, um, is what you can see. So you've got a, the main chunk is a four by four grid of your local sort of area that you are in, um, and so um, and then and that's what you can see at first uh, at the top. There's a, a 15 by 5 grid, essentially. And that, that's kind of what you see. And half of it, some of it's in shade. So some of it's darker gray, some of it's light. And that's the light moving over it. When you first start on this, you'll see taking up a, like a, in sort of, a, sort of five in a cross sort of formation is your sort of landing craft. And that's where you pick everything. So if you click on the actual craft itself, you'll get a sub menu. You'll get your menu open up. And that what that does, that allows you to pick any of your, um, it gives you some stats at the top. So it tells you uh, your quota. It tells you how much ore you've mined. Uh, it gives you the time of day, you know, how, how long you've got left and that sort of thing. So that's constantly ticking down. At the bottom, you've got the um, any whatever you've bought. So all the vehicles that you may have bought, they're all down at the bottom. And you can select one of them. And once you select one of them, you move back out into the main screen. Um, and you've got this kind of 
depending on what uh, vehicle you've selected, you've got this kind of like chunky little sort of square sprite with a letter in it. So if it's a survey thing you've sent out, it's have an S, if it's a mining, it's an M, it's a tick truck, it's a T and so on and so forth. You then move this around the grids. So it's like jump, jumps from grid to grid, I think, if I remember rightly. And if you go off screen, so if you go to the next one, so you want to go to the right, it'll flick to the next one. So on the top view, that 15 by 5, that's all the space you can move in. And each square in that is the zoom. You've sort of seen a zoomed in version of that little square at the top. So that's how it works. When you click in any of these squares itself, that actually sets the destination for the craft you have um, you've selected. So at first you want to send out your survey craft um, because what these do, these will check for deposits of crystal along the route they take, but will also mark out unsafe ground as well. They they float, they fly, they kind of they. Um, so imagine the spaceships from Space 1999, I guess. So imagine those sort of pooling about on the sort of asteroid surface, and they're looking for the stuff that you've said. And the good thing is they don't just look in the um, the space you've sent them to; they look at everything along the way. Um, and so what they'll do is, like I said, they'll mark either any deposits they find along the way and where they've gone, or they'll also mark out unsafe ground. They do this by leaving a colored beacon in the square. It's a little sort of circle. If there's, if there's a yellow circle there, it means there is some crystal there to be mined. Um, and if it's a blue one, it means unstable ground. So once you've found some, you send your mining craft out to the space. Now you obviously got to be careful because if there's a unstable ground, they will they will get mucked. They'll, they'll get ruined. They'll become you know they, they will actually be they'll they'll just uh, become unusable. So you've got to avoid the unstable ground. So you've got to kind of guide them a little bit um, around if there's something in the way to get them to the place where the beacon is for them to pick up the stuff. And that's that's essentially what you've got to do. So once you've got to once you've mined the stuff, so your mining guys have gone out, you then move your mining vehicle off that square and the beacon will have changed from yellow to purple. At that point, it's okay to be picked up by your truck. So then you have to send a truck out. Uh, the truck can pick up up to, I think, 10 beacons worth of stuff. So you can have multiple trucks going out. Now, you can have loads of different things going out in all different directions. So you can get all your survey things going out for miles around sort of thing and see what you can find. You can send your trucks out. You can send your mining things out and all that sort of thing. So that's all going off. Remember, this is a two-player game, though. So at the same time all this is happening, the other player is doing it on their side of the screen in the same asteroid, just not the same space. So you will eventually start to come across each other and start to meet each other. And that's where your sort of uh, guns and everything sort of uh, come out. So that's really once you once your truck sorry once your truck gets to pick it up, you just have to bring it back to to a square adjacent to your main craft on the on the sort of starting screen, and that will then unload the crystal, and that will increase your quota that you've got. You've got, and so essentially, this game is about finding the crystal, mining it, sending your trucks out, bringing it back, protecting yourself, and trying to do all this in the, in the time limit and getting the quota that you've got. That's the core loop of the game. And really, that's that's kind of it. If you manage to get the required quota in the time limit, you'll be given a code. This leads to more difficult missions, higher quotas, more aggressive corporations to face off against. The first level is not so pretty easy, but it starts to ramp up in difficulty. They'll start to fight. You run across them. They'll be blowing up your stuff. You've got to send people out. You need cloaking devices. might want to send them out and things like that. This leads to combat. You'll need to use your combat craft, as I say. You get more money from completing missions. That allows you to buy more craft. But obviously, if you fail game over and you've got to try again and that's that's it that's really what you've got to do the visuals in this are pretty good i thought they're a little gray like we said about nightmare but they're actually you know it's an asteroid so it's a landscape of an asteroid as they and as they go this is okay there's no scrolling or anything just flicks but it's pretty fast everything moves about the everything's functional and kind of easy to read the sprites so you know it's got a big s on it or a big m or a big t i know that's a truck i know that's a mining thing i know that's a survey module it's easy enough to read, so that's quite good. Um, and you know, 
the front end's really nice. The menus are all very nice. The music plays is okay. Everything's all right. The presentation-wise, this is very nice. The issue is, and kind of Zap said the same thing in their review, and it is, I think they got it about right. It gets a bit repetitive because there's not much variety in what you do. So, and it got me thinking, but, you know, this is another, we've seen another one of these, maybe that Nether Earth and things like this. But as an early example of this is, you know, it's a command and conquer type of real-time strategy game. Because essentially, you know, it's a strategy game in real time. Everything's running. You've got to send people things out to mine, find stuff, mine it, bring it back. That's like, you know, what's what's it? What's the uh, Tiberium, isn't it? In in um, uh, Command yep. and Conquer, essentially, you, it's a similar sort of premise. So this is an interesting offshoot, um, and it does flatter to deceive when it starts off with all that background, all the sort of trucks and everything. It's just, um, I think that there's some problems with how it little plays i mean it's all joystick driven so fair enough most of the time we say that's a good thing i think this could have done with some keyboard shortcuts or some shortcuts because there's no way to get quickly back to the base that i could find so it's just flicking through screen 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 moving back and forth to pick another you know to pick another um uh, another vehicle so you got to go back especially if you send someone from miles away and you got to come back while you're waiting for them to go and i think that's a bit of a that can get, that can you know that can grate a little bit having to sort of flick between screens something to do that um, maybe some options, icons at the bottom, maybe, or something, some clever stuff like that, where you could have just gone, right, I've got one of them, send that out, I want to send it here, send that out, send that here, moving around, doing that could have been better. They could have done that maybe with keyboard commands. Um, I know it has two players, but they could have split the uh, keyboard in the middle and had player one on the left-hand side, player two on the right-hand side. So you could have had your own keys to do those things. They could have done that. Like I said, some icons, something. A little more thought on the interface for this could have made it much quicker to navigate quite often i would forget where my craft were or ones i'd sent out so i'd be searching through the screens to find them this could have been ameliorated i think by having them highlighted on the grid at the top you know colors have been red so you've got some stuff there or just maybe holding down the fire and flicking left and right to cycle through your active units in the field to go so you could find what you wanted something like that i don't know i found this just a bit tedious to play after a while it's an interesting game this i thought though not something we've seen a lot of this type of thing probably one of the better variants on the genre as well we've seen so far i I, I did quite enjoy it it just i just think it needed a little bit more work in the user experience and i think if it had i think this would be remembered and sort of viewed um a lot better but i think as it is it's a nearly game it's it's another one of those we're seeing these components start to appear in these kind of genres that people are taking you know taking on and so in that respect this is all right i I quite enjoyed it but it just i just got a bit that's all there is to it really and i got a bit bored after a little while what about you yeah same story really it's a precursor isn't it without a doubt to games like Dune 2, um, yeah, Battle yeah. for Arrakis, very similar. Um, you know, sending out your, you know, you're essentially sending out vehicles to mine spice in that game. I mean, it's not it's not that far off this, really. Not really. The only difference is that you don't expand your base and build troops and things like that. Yeah. And no, that's what's probably missing, actually, here. It's just, you know, take, take those elements away from Dune 2 and you'd end up with this, really. So yeah. it's a resource strategy game. Um, and we played one similar where you was like a little robot on that planet, wasn't you, building resources? And that suffered from the same problem, is that, Eventually, you know, this just gets tired, bit tiresome of doing the same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing. Um, so with more things to see and do here, it would have been better. But, you know, you're limited by 64K at the end of the day, regardless of... What yeah, absolutely. I thought the graphics were nice. Some nice UI work in there. Good, some good design ideas. And I think the feedback's a little bit minimal, really. So sometimes it's not immediately obvious what the, what you're meant to be doing. So you have to play it a bit to sort of get into that. When you know what you're doing, you know, but it would take a little while to get into, I think. So I quite, I, I, it was always all right, Corporation, but it was always 
if you if someone said, you know, at the end of that first level, you know, this then you went to do something different. But you know, the idea of facing another however many levels of that, I think, and it's no more variation than it than, it, than that. You, know, you can't build new, new parts of your base. You can't build new exciting things. There's no hands of nod in here that you're going to build or build up to. Yeah. Um, no, the, the units you've got, all the six of them are, it is what it is. So it just gets a bit boring. But this is a at least a very different type of game. We don't come across good resource strategy games often when they're crammed into 64K. So it's doing what it does quite well. What it's doing is just a little bit tedious, but it's a little bit ahead of its time, isn't it? You know, mm. Up the ante on the memory and add, add a couple more details in here and you're not far off the beginnings of your Command and Conquers, as you've said. Yeah. So it's interesting. I think it's going to be one of those footnote games where we look back and think, you know, you can draw a direct line between Corporation and Dune 2 and Command and Conquer without a doubt. Similarly to that robot one we played. Not yeah. bad price, 62%, about right, actually, for Zap. I think yeah. it was all right. The music is good, though, in Corporation. And uh, the graphics, yeah, yeah. we nick loads of the graphics for demos. Um, there's a whole <laughs> chunk yeah. of, you know, loads I of it. I can imagine. So, good um, stuff. But all right, it's all right. Just but a bit dull. These games are a bit dull without the... Without the, because you've got the GDI, you've got all that crazy Nod stuff and the Brotherhood of Nod stuff in Command and Conquer, mm-hmm. and all that exciting stuff, and the fact that it builds up to you, know, you end up with powerful weapons at the end. By the end of it, you got nukes and stuff like that. Um, without all of that, if it was just continuously building you know, power stations, you'd be like mm. <laughs> mining, yeah. you know, Tiberium. I mean, they, it wouldn't they, be much they, fun. They could have. I mean, you, they could have held back the weaponry for two or three missions to sort of give you that like the first mission you land there and it's all peaceful and then something happens and like oh the other corporations have started on you so now we need to give you some weaponry to protect yourself and so that would have that would have like okay so the first one is just a you're just mining and stuff and just get through and understand that and then mm. it's like right they're gonna we're gonna give you this gun because you know this gun base because they're gonna start thinking oh and now they've, they've introduced these so we hit build up to the rocket launcher and now you need the cloaking device that would have give the game a bit you know they've got those in there just hold them back don't give you them all at the beginning yeah and progression wise at least would have had some progression would have had a little bit of progression it but, would be but the parts where you're shooting at the enemies in those views they're the weakest part of the game yeah true i um, mean i'm not saying they're, they're great they're pretty but, weak but from a progression point of view it would have been something to build to you'd have felt like yeah. oh well, it is, I'm, getting, I'm getting something how long is it going to last eventually not when long. you get to the point where you've got all six of those things then you're in the same position that you're in now yeah yeah i know i know but still it ain't a bad idea all in all is it it's a bit different to everything else we've seen and that's good that's a good thing it's a good it's a it's a game heading in the right direction it's just missing some other components i suspect constrained by the machine that it's on more than anything else yeah. and the lack of memory therein so not bad. and it's better and it's better than nightmare yes yes i i enjoyed it a lot better than nightmare i have to say yeah, you know I was, watching an old man take a poo in a in a cell was never a thing i wanted <laughs> was, to enjoy was so. a nightmare this was a ref, this was a refreshing change and there's also hints of syndicate in here i think um, you think with the whole idea of yeah a whole idea of corporations oh, taking corporations over you know, and your stuff, yeah. to corporation yeah yeah so there's hints of the original syndicate, not the awful version that came later. The yeah, it's quite, it's quite cyberpunky, isn't it? Yeah, there is a bit of that. So. I guess, but it's quite early for cyberpunk, this, isn't it? 1988, not really a thing about that yeah. point. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, maybe we've had all it erased out of our brains. Aren't you a good part of the corporation? Oh, uh, yeah, I forgot. I am, yes, I am indeed. <laughs> Be careful now. <laughs> uh, let's move on. Excelsior. <laughs> Let's move on quickly. That's it. That's our. I've four got games. one that can see. No, no, I can't see anything. Can't see anything. BBC. No, not there. That's not my exhaust port. Anyway, he just called our... an old lady formaldehyde face. <laughs> Get him out of here. That's true. I did. Um, that's our first four games. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. I'll be reprogrammed, and we'll be talking about uh, TV in May 1988. <laughs> We're 
heavily frosted cupcakes and gallons of milky tea to our much-loved show sponsor, DavidHearnWriter.com, where you will find a whole bunch of brilliant audiobooks, bargain books, e-books, and more. I can tell you, David is a multi-talented fellow of some renown. And to prove it, let's take a listen to an excerpt from his amazing audiobook, Escape from the Commodore 64, which is available right now. Frustrated, she pushed the corner of the AHA post up back into place. Stay, she whispered. She waited. When it fell loose again with a soft thwack, she threw her hands in the air and instead let herself fall backwards onto her bed. With a pillow held over her head, Sarah screamed out her frustrations. If only Morton could climb out of his music video and whisk her away into staticky bliss. A girl could wish. She thought of Reese's first crush on the back of his door, her checkered love matching his checkered past of returning games, or worse, making others do it for him. Well, colour me convinced, that sounds blooming awesome. For more, you can visit davidhearnwriter.com. That's david, H-E-A-R-N-E, writer.com, to grab yourself some of that juicy, juicy stuff. What are you waiting for? And we're back. We've got lots going on, loads of new shows, loads of interesting things happening in TV world. Um, some most of the programs we'd never heard of. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, a whole bunch. Like May, May 1988 didn't happen for us, <laughs> I think. No, what's going nothing, on? I don't think where I was, well. what was I doing? Don't I don't know. I have no idea what you were doing. But anyway, nothing happened until the 19th of May anyway, because on 19th of May, Anita Dobson made her last appearance in EastEnders when her character Andy Watt, uh, Andy Watch, Angie Watt, departed for a new life in Spain. I don't even remember her disappearing. I thought she got murdered and left in a cellar. Uh, clearly not. <laughs> clearly not. Or maybe she did. <laughs> Maybe that was the the, room, the Maybe twist. That was the, yeah, that was the ruse. Um, was Dan still in the life. Had, he, had he gone? I don't know. I don't know. I thought he died and got killed and put in a cellar. Just <laughs> 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 your uh, Graham. Your stories seem to uh, revolve a lot around someone being killed and left in a cellar. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're about. <laughs> well, let me just show you the last four assessments. <laughs> this one. <laughs> I've got with... something to show you. Where, where is it? It's down in my cellar. Hey. <laughs> 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 <Tell a laugh. laughs> um, okay, 23rd of May. Three gay rights activists invade the BBC studios during a six o'clock news bulletin on BBC One to protest about the introduction of Section 28, which was a law preventing schools from teaching their students about homosexuality. Protesters can be heard chanting as Sue Lawley continues to read the news, prompting her to comment, we have been rather invaded by some people who we hope to be removing very shortly into a cellar she didn't say that last bit <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable isn't it i mean goodness me really i mean the whole idea of that law is just i found it completely mad i don't remember anything about it either where was i in 1988 <laughs> may i don't know i don't remember anything about it. i remember seeing that as a you know as, as one of those tv shows on channel five where they show you know interesting things that happened in 1988 yeah yeah but I, I, clip, I, I, I do vaguely remember that happening. But I would say that in May 1988, I was supposed to be studying for my GCSEs. So mm. that's my excuse for yeah. not remembering a lot of this. What I was actually doing was going out and playing on my Commodore 64. But, you know, yes. hey-oh, I should have been studying. But this is really weird that this kind of thing, Section 28, can't teach people, kids about homosexuality. It's only 34 years ago in this country. I know. 
It's that's unbelievable. I mean, what I mean, that's a crazy turnaround of things as well, considering obviously now it's totally and utterly different. So yeah, as it should be. Thank God we were more just, enlightened than we were the back then. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, that to sort of go in. I mean, that's oh, I don't know. Just it's just mad. Uh, that law was mad. I, I I remember clusters of news around it. I don't remember much about it. You didn't get a lot of exposure to that in, you know, secondary schools at the time. I was in secondary school at the time of that. Um, you know, these weren't conversations that were happening. You know, you you know, you didn't mention no. the G word at school because it was, you know, nowadays it's totally fine and everyone embraces everyone's sexuality regardless of what it may be. But back then, you know, you, you, it was a whole different ball game. You know, you could, yeah, it was. Your yeah. life could become very complicated and very unpleasant very quickly mm. if you were if you were different um in yes. any respect especially if you were you know and i can't imagine how challenging that must have been for um people that were homosexual at the time who were trapped and not able to come out in the way they wanted or express themselves because not only were they going to get tortured at schools and things and in places and, and get have a miserable life but also the law was clearly against them it's ridiculous thank yeah. god we've moved on thank god we've moved thank on. god Yep. 27th of May, almost all of the production areas at the BBC Television Centre are shut down after the discovery of, of, of asbestos fibres in the soundproof ceiling of TC5. I don't know what that is. During routine maintenance. It is also found in the coating of trusses supporting the studio grids. As a consequence, production teams are required to move from Television Centre to other BBC studios such as Bristol and Birmingham. Work to remove the asbestos takes several months. Nasty, nasty nasty stuff it's cancer cancer inducing isn't it asbestos yes it is it's carcinogenic yes it's um it's a a nasty fibrous but fire retardant material that was used to in and insulate but 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 they put it in all sorts of ceilings and schools it was it was you know very fire resistant very thermogenic whatever the bloody name of it i can't remember but anyway the point being that it's all fine when it's in its stable form, but if it breaks, if you break it apart or it's broken, um, the mm. fibers from it, which is what it's bonded together with, and if you get them in your lungs, they embed themselves in the small passage in your lungs, and of course, once it's embedded in there, it can cause all sorts of horrific problems, including cancers and things and nasty, mm. nasty stuff. Lots of people die of asbestosis, which is a disease brought about by breathing in the fibers of asbestos, which is why when you when they find it, it's a very, very difficult. There's a special team of the council to deal with that. If you yeah. if you hit the alarm but if you hit the asbestos alarm it's a bit like that moment in um monsters inc when that guy comes out of that room with a sock <laughs> stuck to his back right you know but you know in all seriousness if you you know if you found asbestos in a school or something like that that school is going to get shut down they send special teams in and the the stuff is like that it's like it's like almost like there's been a nuclear containment breach no it's very serious stuff because one fiber all it takes is one tiny fiber and you're done i Nasty. remember there was um I, re- I remember personally that there was a lot of um <laughs> there's a weird because obviously it became such a you know big thing everyone knew about asbestos suddenly it was this thing um and mm. i remember being petrified of uh about loft because of the loft insulation i thought that was asbestos mm. um yeah we did, did i did develop in a bit of an irrational fear of remember my dad messing with me and saying that the uh the little the bit with the bit in the ironing board where you stand your iron oh yeah 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 like the little sort of cardboard bit at the end, whatever that is, little wooden bit that you put it on, on the older ironing boards. I remember him saying to me, oh, that's asbestos. Don't touch that. He's a cruel man. I was petrified <laughs> of that ironing board for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. You used to see it in your dreams, just at the foot of your bed. Yeah, just Graham. banging on the door. <laughs> Graham, I'm here to brush your trousers. <laughs> one fibre. All it takes is one fibre. Get away. Asbestos ironing board. Leave me. <laughs> Not today, not today. I can't get to sleep. The airing cupboard door's open. <laughs> Asbestos ironing board, go away. 
<laughs> but anyway, serious stuff. And if you do encounter any yeah. asbestos, make sure you call your council. Oh uh, yeah, make call, sure to hit that. Aspe- I'm really, really hoping there is a, just a big button that says asbestos alarm. Because if there isn't, there is. I'm going to be very disappointed. It's like Ghostbusters. The- he goes, we got one. <laughs> 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 horrible, the horrible <laughs> irony being that all the buttons are made of asbestos. That's why they call it the asbestos <laughs> button. <laughs> But in all seriousness, don't breathe it in. Don't breathe this. It's nasty stuff. Don't. It's nasty. Uh, 29th to 30th of May, ITV staged its first telethon, a 27-hour nationwide fundraising effort involving participation and input from all of the regional broadcasters around the country. Its aim was to raise money for disability charities across the UK. I remember this. Yeah, worthwhile causes, yeah. I remember it happening. I remember remember going on and on about it. And it's actually because it it sort of developed, they realised that these endless telethons, because it's a very American idea, but they realised that nobody likes them in this country because they go on for too long. So that's why Children Mm -hmm. in Need Now is just an evening. The events can go on around the day, but the TV part is, you know, it's compressed a little bit. Because it went on forever and ever. Yeah, this tell. I remember the first one. This there was only a few. They didn't do many, did they? I think they did about four or five. Not many in total. And each one got progressively yeah. shorter. Um, I found a little <laughs> in- bit of information about a later one. It says uh, one regional cutting for the 1992 telethon took place in the grounds outside Granada TV, the Key Street Studio. We've got an interesting connection to that one. I think. Um, in the I think I think that was the key. Anyway. Um, it was part of a non-stop 27-hour live stage presentation, the Blackpool Roadshow. Non-stop 27-hour stage presentation in Blackpool. Sounds like torture. Um, <laughs> it was gifted and coordinated by brother and sister Shirley Pearson and Johnny Doolan. Amongst the many stage appearances was reportedly the first ever live set from the later famous band Oasis. That's quite wow. impressive, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And guest weird. appearances from chart-topping artists and choreographed sets from Blackpool show Mystique. That was a very famous show in that time. You know, it was okay, a bit I'll like take the, your word uh, for Cirque it. Cirque du Soleil. Uh, but then it says, Bisto Gravy Powder Drums <laughs> and Packets sponsored the event. What a random <laughs> sentence that is in relation to anything. <laughs> you could take any of those words out and it would probably still make as little sense. Bisto Gravy Drums. <laughs> Bisto what's, Gravy what is the, Packets. What's a Bisto Gravy Powder Drum? It's what you buy Bisto in. They're called those, those round, the round things. They're drums, aren't they? They're small drums. But then it, why is it and packets? Because you could buy them in packets as well, I guess. Look, I don't why know. Would they, I don't why work, would they sponsor <laughs> that event? I don't know. Because Bisto is a gravy that everyone enjoys across the UK. <laughs> I just imagine <laughs> them saying the words Bisto gravy powder a lot in Blackpool. <laughs> well, that was a brilliant set from Mystique, and you probably would have enjoyed that more if you'd have had Bisto gravy on those chips, but never mind that. <laughs> You can just imagine dropping the B the B bomb, the Bisto bomb in every opportunity, can't you? That was absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Oasis, for that. Um, I'm loving the uh, the Bisto brown trousers you're wearing. Fantastic. Here's Eric Bristow to welcome in the next. <laughs> Sorry, Eric Bisto. Eric Pardon Bisto. me. So, uh, thank you for, I think you're fine. It's Eric Bristow. Thanks, Eric. Eric Bisto, everyone. Eric Bisto. Eric Bisto. You don't mind if I call you Eric Bisto. Is, is uh, I'm imagining that your French call you Gravy Boat. No, none, nobody knows me as that. They do now. All right, Gravy Boat, throw, throw us a 180 and then bugger off. We've also got Faith Brown. Brown like Bisto. <laughs> we call her Bisto do behind you... the scenes. No, you don't. You do now, Bisto. <laughs> do you like your Bisto gravy, Faith? No, I don't. All right, bugger off then. Go on. Yeah, off you go. And just think, if you don't like it in drums, it also comes in packets, just like your crisps. Bisto crisps. Everyone likes Bisto them. Bisto crisps. <laughs> Besto, Bisto. <laughs> and now the next item on the telethon is our film for the evening, The Count of Monte Bisto. <laughs> Ramon gets trapped inside a gravy drum and works his way out inside of a packet. 
Herbie goes back. That's not the story of this film. <laughs> Tis now. Shut up, Bisto. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, yeah, so that, that's probably what happened. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> it did lead to uh, the great Bisto Oxo War of nineteen ninety three, though. So uh, you know, it, did, it yeah. wasn't. Which it, one was it, the one with the advert with the bangers? Was that look out bangers? Was that sausages or was that gravy? That was... What the hell was that? <laughs> You're just saying words now. You're making about as much sense as that sentence. Which was, what, oh, was which was the advert? Was the bangers? Was it sausage or gravy? That makes no sense. <laughs> We're talking about Bisto gravy powder drums and packets sponsoring an event. Nothing makes sense anymore. <laughs> It was what was the advert where the woman had the sausages on a train? What was the advert for? I can't remember if she was advertising. I'm sure it was, I'm sure was, it was the Oxo, was the Oxo fam- Yeah, the Oxo sure family. The Oxo family. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that yes. was re- it was related to the whole idea it was, of the war. But you know, yeah. Bobby Oxo. Um, ah, Bisto. <laughs> true. Oxo's just uh, you know, tic tac toe in it, knots and crosses. It is. 30th of May. Uh, this is the, uh, in in light of the telethon happening. Yorkshire Television resumed twenty four hour broadcasting. TVAM, however, did not go on the air, with its airtime instead taken up by coverage of ITV's Telethon eighty eight. The ACTT had asked its members to boycott the program on that day, and fearful of sparking a nationwide dispute, TVAM's acting managing director Adrian Moore allows ITV to use the early morning airtime. Adrian allows. Mm. Yeah, right. Probably couldn't get the T boy <laughs> to run the programs in reverse or out of order or something. Allows. Yeah, it it no hit the locked door button, but they'd all got out. Yeah, they'd all like, thank God we got out of there. Yeah, it's just a cleaner. Well, I can't run this. <laughs> You're in charge of programming. Well done. You've been you've been uh, promoted. Uh, we'll I just let Telethon do it. Imagine he's at the top of the uh, the building, the ITV building, trying to prevent all the ACTT people pr- doing anything by pouring ready hot gravy over the side, like in a medieval. <laughs> From a drum, a bisto yeah, from drum. From a massive bisto drum, like, ah, ah, laughing as he does. And then he fires, like, massive, giant, fiery meatballs, you know, from a from a trebuchet. You're not getting in. Pelting them with packets. <laughs> he's, using, he's using burning hot gravy, the crazy person. Goodness me. This is not molten lead. Oh, it's, that lumpy would be up, as, it's lumpy as well. Oh, he hasn't stirred it properly. It's and also stupid as well, idiot. I now can't think of you've mixed you've crossed the uh, episode streams because you've said meatballs <laughs> and so I can only think of uh, Bruce Hornsby in the range and the guitarist being drenched in Bisto. So it was what well, they would be. Uh, that was <laughs> so the name of me- the next album. Drenched in me- Bisto was their album, wasn't it? <laughs> hey, live on Telethon nineteen eighty nine. Bruce Hornsby in the range with a new hit. Drenched in Bisto. <laughs> Now, I've noticed you get, your guitar's <laughs> gravy boat shaped. Is that purpose? I love Bisto. That's just the way I go. Four spoons is enough in anyone's drink. Don't put too much in because it goes too thick. Yes. I don't believe in Bisto anyway. Why? Do you not think it exists? No, I don't believe in it. Okay. Why? I just don't. Okay. Just one of those things. But I put pay to that line of amusement. <laughs> Stop laughing. I don't believe in it. Okay. I don't believe Sorry. in it. <laughs> you, you bloody crazy Bisto talk. <laughs> you started it. <laughs> anyway, we've got some new shows. None of these I had ever heard of. Same. Uh, Same first of May, tr- uh, Troubles <laughs> started in 1980. Okay. It started 1st of May on ITV. Good. Never heard of it. No idea. Uh, 3rd of May. I had heard of this one, though, Foursquare on BBC One. Um, Game show on it, but. Never it's a game it. show, yeah. It's a, it's basically it's a really 
cheap variant of you remember uh, you know pairs the game of cards where you turn put them all face down and you turn them over and try and get pairs two queens yeah. two three it's that it's basically that oh god how lame <laughs> yeah it lasted three years so oh, um, god what the one game yeah um <laughs> late yeah one, one game of it yeah please someone get a pair it was a uh, later <laughs> um, presented by John Sachs whoever he yeah. is. John Sachs, that name rings a bell. Is he the guy that played Manuel in uh, Forty Towers? Is that not John could, Sachs? It could very well be. He presented it anyway. Yeah, he didn't start off presenting it though. It was presented originally by um, someone Giddy called Lee from Rush. M- Michael Groth or Groth. Oh, wasn't he okay. in um, Halloween? <laughs> yeah, it was Gross Cop, wasn't it? Oh, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, um, yeah, yeah anyway, don't imagine that. So this, uh, uh, that would be a usual. <laughs> Sort of career move German from a heavy metal German sort of thrash metal speed type metal. band speed metal band to a, to a game show walk? host can you find the pairs <laughs> there are no pairs oh my god we're going to be here for years we're going to be here for years 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 9th of May Def 2 started oh, uh, around for 6 years called Def yeah D-E-F yeah Def was Janet this, Street Porter is responsible for this. Was this sun, was this on Sunday? Was it on Sunday, uh, or was this was this the one that ran during the no, week? No, it was midweek. It was in the week. It was midweek was it Wednesday night? Was was one yeah, that was yeah yeah essentially yes. I think yeah. so. Was it, it was on it was on around about tea time. It was sort of six o'clockish. I think wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, was it was tea, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, it was on BBC Two tea, tea time. Yeah, it was youth, yes. youth TV, wasn't it? By Janet Street Porter, who previously left Network Seven, whatever it was, and came to yes. the BBC to do this. And That's brought all of her stupid crap with her. Did, did this have no limits on it? It's not. In the uh, list there. No, it's that was that was the list of shows that was on Wiki. It doesn't mean it's a you know an exhausting list or accurate, but those it oh, was God, made up of a complex a complex mishmash of old shows and new shows and some shows I'd never heard of. Yeah, there's some weird ones in here. Big Trip, Battlestar, Galactic, like Book Rogers, Dance, Energy. That doesn't sound good. Yeah, no, but Rapido. That was in there with what's his Rapido, name? Rapido. Yeah, was... I noticed that one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Antoine it's a de precursor Cons, to Euro Trash, really, Rapido, yeah. Yeah, rap, rap, Rapido. Um, Red and Stimpy in there. Um, I didn't realise oh, the yeah. short sections of Wayne's World from Saturday Night Live were shown on BBC TV at all till I read that, which I've never yeah, never weird. saw at the time, ever. I remember a reportage in Rough Guys to the World because that had yeah, one of those had uh, Magenta, Magenta Divine. Yeah, yes, it did. Um, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was originally shown at that slot as well. Yeah, so. weird, weird, weird. Yeah. Yeah, some Crazy. odd stuff it's in there. Been where I watched a lot of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, it would have been, yeah, because the only place it was on, wasn't it? Fifteenth um, yeah. of May, Les Girls. Yeah. Now I couldn't find anything. There's nothing on Wiki. I did find something on uh, there's some website called Comedy.com or something. So this is a dramatic sitcom following a group of women employed by modelling agency Maggie's Models. It starred mm. Debbie Bishop, Rachel Fielding, Sadie Frost, who I recognise, Janet McTeer, Annie yeah. Lambert, and more. Is that the Sadie Frost, the Dracula yes. Sadie Frost? I think so, yes. Interesting. I do believe it she is. She must have been yeah. young in that then. She must was basically been. an embryo in Dracula. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Dracula wasn't much later, was it? Was it not? 92, 91, 92? Yeah, I suppose, yeah. So she would, have been about, she would have been about eight in this then. <laughs> Probably. Um, yeah, but I yeah, so let's play girls. Or lay girls. Lay girls. Mm. Um, 17th to make The Lowdown. Um, this was a children's documentary that shows that was shown after Newsround. For those um, for international listeners, Newsround was uh, sort of kids' news uh, presented by John Craven. Um, is the classic sort of like person who presented it, yeah. and it was essentially sort of news. So we got proper news, but it was aimed at sort of kids. But it was 
news proper, you know, just palletized for, it, for yeah, children. Just, yeah, it's, it's quite an interesting idea, actually. Yeah. So we got, you know, when big things were going on around the world, we got it kind of delivered in a way that would be acceptable or sort of understandable and, by and like slightly it. less terrifying. So they were like, so, yeah. there's been a terrible incident at a nuclear power plant in, uh, <laughs> in, in, Chernobyl. Chino- in Chernobyl. Yeah. Chernobyl. And that's just like if you found a giant onion under your bed. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Well, it's it's a bit worse than finding some asbestos in your school roof, <laughs> yeah, or in your ironing board. Yeah. Ironing board. Ironing board. <laughs> that really marked you, didn't it? <laughs> yes. Um, uh, but yeah, so he's, he's still on TV, by the way, John Craven. He's on Country File in the UK. Yes, he's he a does. The countryside and country pursuits. It is. Um, so this. So this is not a. So that's news round, which has nothing to do with the lowdown. Lowdown just <laughs> happened to come on after it. Um, yeah, don't remember much about it. <laughs> no, I don't remember anything about it either. Eighteenth um, of May, our ITV started their um, children's news show, Chatterbox. This was a chat show aimed at children. So there's a. Uh, we've got a link here of the first episode. It's very bad, badly recorded, but you can watch it. And it was presented by uh, Alid Jones of uh, I'm Walking in the Air fame, Snowman fame. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is really boring and really earnest. <laughs> it's yeah. like... It's a, it's a, he's a chorister, isn't he? Ex-chorister, essentially, sort of hired to yeah, do... He's yeah. on radio now. He does all radio stuff, but... Yeah, he does. I mean, he's, he's obviously grown into a bit into presenting, but back then he, he was a bit... He's about the sort of stilted side, should we say. The, but the problem yeah. I had with this is that they did that thing. It's like if you watch chat shows from around that time, like Parkinson or, you know, Des O'Connor and things like that, that were sort of chat show staples, they were, you may not have got them, but they were fun. They generally had a yeah. fun, vibrant, lively air about them. This yeah. felt like it was filmed in a mortuary. And like the kids just sat there going, eh, like, yeah. uh, can we have, you'd think, if you want to aim this chat show at kids, and the first thing, the first person they have on is uh, Jason Connery. And the first question they ask him, he goes, oh, you, you, your hair's changed. Oh, God. Who cares? Oh, Lord. Goodness <laughs> Who man. cares? But Jason Connery just reached out, just punched him out in the nose. <laughs> well, no, now your nose get... has changed. <laughs> he goes, well, uh, I'm just uh, starring in a play in the West End. And kids don't care about that. Yeah. Well, the kids are going, right, we need to get tickets for that. That's not, that never happened. <laughs> Let me put they that down my fire exit. Goes, if I set up a fire alarm, how quickly can we get out? <laughs> Absolutely. Press the asbestos button. Uh, yeah, awful. Really boring. Uh, 24th of May, Echoes. Um, uh, it's a 1985... Well, so I'm guessing this is based on the 1985 novel by the Irish author Maeve Binchy. Uh, it was a second novel. It explored various themes of Irish small-town life. So this was a four-part television mm. miniseries adapted for the, by the, from the novel... Um, for Channel 4 and working title films in association with RT. I have no idea what this is. I've never read a Maeve Binchy no. book in my life, so I no can't tell you. More interestingly, Echoes um, was also the title of a, a film, a short film made by a friend of the podcast, Gary. Oh, yes. I don't remember <laughs> uh, where, about it, though. It was the one, it was his tortured soul video. You remember, we went around his house. What, and was it the one where he filmed himself hanging in his bedroom? Was it he filmed one? himself hanging, yeah. It was set to... Um, yeah, I remember I think it was, was I can't remember. I can't remember what tune it was set to. It's like we had to do a music video for um for our college piece, and yeah, so he, he did this I one way picture of him hanging. But we he was menaced by our giant shadow hands in his living room. So is it the one where he sprang out of his lounge chair at the end <laughs> yeah, with, the, with the bright light? Yeah, I think it, <laughs> that's the one. It's that one. Yeah, it's that one. Yeah. Now. Echoes. It, hey, it was great. That yeah, but the giant hands <laughs> menacing him. Um, yes, I remember um, it now. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was. It was. Uh, in crimson image piece. of him dead with pills coming out of his mouth yeah it was yeah <laughs> oh i remember it now yeah happy gary yes yes good old happy happy gary yeah 
Happy Gary. <laughs> you see why we call him this? Um, right, I think yeah. that's where he earned the um, the name of that. Maybe from that, many other reasons, perhaps. But yeah, I remember it now. I remember the main my main memory of that is the hanging thing, which actually looked pretty effective the way he'd staged that. Yeah, clever, clever how he staged it and the angle that they'd set the camera. I remember that because I remember the, quite a vivid image. I remember the. I remember. Seems to remember when he was showing it to somebody at the college. Them going, "Oh my god!" Because they thought he'd actually put himself in <laughs> danger when he did it. And then I remember him leaping out of his armchair, his lounge armchair, <laughs> yeah. looking into the light like somebody somebody turned the the main lounge lights on and when he was watching the movie, and it really <laughs> pissed him off. He's like, Aye! 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it had a much more serious connotation for in, in relation to the echoes of tortured soul over it bloody well was, but uh, yeah, it was, was just it. a man pissed off that lights had been turned on in my book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Turn them off. Electricity costs loads. <laughs> you won't thank us for A, mentioning that, and B, ridiculing it. It's a very serious thing. It was a very serious thing. Finally, the last thing we've got for this <laughs> month, um, on the 30th of May, Tumble Down, uh, which was a 1988 BBC television drama film set during the Falklands War. Directed by me. Starred Colin Heavy. Firth, Paul Reese, and David Calder. Won a load of awards. Uh, best yeah, film cameraman, best makeup, best single drama. Uh, Colin Firth was nominated for best actor. And wow. There was loads of, loads of stuff going on. thing with it, I'd never heard of this, but I've, I've, yeah, I might actually see if I can track it down. The film spiked enormous controversy when first broadcast in 1988 on Wikipedia, in part because it conveyed the flat indifference shown by government, society in public and public to the returning wounded from the Falklands War. This content forms much of the story, as Lawrence struggles to come to terms with his terrible injuries and to face a life in which he can't do nothing he's trained to do, the things he loves soldiering. It also sparked controversy because when he was at war, it showed him quite happily being happy, causing you know uh, uh, joy, joy in the brutalities of war. Um, mm. And so there's there's all that to do with it. So it's kind of a showing someone who really enjoyed being at war, a soldier that actually you know mm. exalted in being in that kind of fight situation, but yeah. also the society that just basically shunned him when he came back, even though we all waved him away as heroes when the Falklands War started and yeah. there was all the big newspaper coverage and everything like that. Nice. Um, and generally, this kind of I've never heard of this, but the thing I find quite interesting about this generally this is this seems a much more American uh, type of plot, a type of thing to cover. Mm. Where you get a lot of Vietnam vet, Korean vet sort of yes. films yes, based correct. around that coming home. We don't generally get there was that one the the guy in the bed silent was it what uh, which one was that um, I can't remember which there was the drama about the guy who got Simon what's his face who got his face all burnt up on the uh, yeah yeah uh, Simon Weston was it yeah I think so and there was one about that there was a I think it was a documentary not a documentary yeah, yeah. but there was, was a drama series around well. that. But generally, we don't get, or we don't normally, we didn't certainly back then, we didn't sort of have films that sort of covered the, our no. own society's indifference to returning people from, you know, uh, not very often. Well, key issue with the Falklands conflict, of course, was that there was nobody there but the soldiers and a few people to see it. They didn't have any film crews or anything there. There's no real recorded footage of that war, is there, as such? No. Not nowadays, where there's cameras everywhere. Back then, you know, we were literally, it was all told to us in, in narrative or... And so much of this, much of this, you know, kind of um, vibe about the what happened when the soldiers came back, it can only have come from the soldiers themselves. Many of those were terribly traumatized by what went on there, especially anyone that was on any of the ships that got sank and thing. Mm. So it's important that that story got told. And I agree with you. It tends to, we tended to have got for the American Vietnam vets coming back and having all the troubles, but you know what happened to our own guys out there? You know, and this is quite important story to tell. I might track that down myself, actually. It sounds very interesting. Because I remember, because I mean, America had been doing films like this. Was it Best Days Best Days of Our Lives? 
that's like a that's 40s 50s i think isn't it but the guy who comes back and he's lost his legs i think there's there's yes, all sorts that's of right. that and there's i mean there's the douglas barter one dan busters and, and things like that but we just generally i think there's a powell and pressburger one that's about it as well is it the david niven one i can't remember yeah but, uh, but there's extent. not there's not many British I'm aware of that no. sort of our modern conflicts where we sort of deal with, especially around this time. Um, but no. we was, you know, we, we'd already had things like Deer Hunter um, and and that ilk, Taxi Driver, I think to some degree, or was he was he yeah. a bit? Um, you know, oh uh, yeah, and, he alludes to it. Yeah, yeah. So there's all, there was those kind of films that were dealing with that in America, but we just. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It seems like a very un-British thing, so quite interesting. Yes. No, we didn't do that kind of thing, did we? The Americans do that. We don't do that. Stuff yeah, we treat all that. Yeah, we we wear poppies, so we treat our veterans with respect and everything. And so, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Okay. Whatever. Anyway, not that I'm knocking poppies and anything in Veterans Day and anything like that. I'm just saying. No, 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 no. But I think you're right. It's um interesting how we we treat. But then again, like you said, it's only 34 years in the past. Then when there was all that brouhaha about homosexuality being illegal to teach in schools and things and now you know it's crazy yeah. crazy to think about it indeed crazy. there we go that's how it's turned out to be you what sorry what an odd month may turned out to be in terms of television yeah i mean clearly i was i reckon the weather was nice i was asleep i think i don't know what's going on <laughs> the weather was nice it's probably out but i don't remember yeah, after that um no, but there you go that's it that's it tv was a weird month we're going to take a break now and we're going to come back we've got four more games to get through and they're a bunch i can tell you that right now they're a bunch so stay with oh, us bunch, um and we will get into those things after the break Jumbo Sausage and Chips to our delicious show sponsor, DavidHernWriter.com, where you will find an amazing collection of audiobooks, bargain books, ebooks, and more. David recently accepted the position of Deputy Mayor of Targ, and yet still found time to write the awesome book, Escape from the Commodore 64. Just have a listen to this. Nell spun on her heel and glared at her, finger pressed to her lips. It was too late. Visitors. A voice crackles over an unseen PA system. Stay a while. Rather not, Sarah grumbled. Stay forever, the voice boomed. Nell threw her arms in the air, her frustration evident even from the other end of the room. Frustration grew to fear as a robot glided into view from a platform above. Blimey, I'm grabbing me some copies of that and I'm taking them to Dizzo or Lave. To get your own copy of that and many, many more, visit davidhernwriter.com. That's david, H-E-A-R-N-E, writer.com. Don't rest on your retros now. Hit your blast button and get over there. And we are back. So we've got four more games to go through in this episode. Um, and they are coming up right now. Let's start with that. Okay, so I'm going to do the first one. The first one is The Halls of the Things. The Halls of the Things, Graham. Question. I mean, do you know, is this a roguelike? I guess it is. Is it who? A roguelike. A roguelike. What's a roguelike? Genre? All right. I'm not no point in asking you. It's a random dungeons generated each time. It comes from the original game Rogue, which was a, you know randomly generated dungeons each time. So every time you played it was different. You went through it. Um, and this is that. It's random dungeons generated. I guess it is. Anyway, um, interesting. Because uh, all of the things, yeah, it's, it's a budget re-release from Firebird of the game that was originally designed for the Spectrum in 1983 and then ported to the C64 in 1984. It was made by Design Design Software, 
who uh, Neil Mottershead, sounds like Motorhead, um, Simon Brattle, Martin Horsley, and Graham Stafford. So this is Design Design. They've made this game. They ported it to D64. Who knows? You know, so this is this is four years old and gets a budget re-release. The game looks its age. <laughs> there's no denying that. But once loaded, we can. There's a few options. We can play the game, redefine the keys, or we can change some options. I'd recommend you go and look at redefining the keys for this, as there's quite a lot to get your head around. I would also, if you are so inclined, play this with a keyboard as well. Don't use a joystick. You need too much keyboard control. It works better. It's a Spectrum game designed for playing with the keys. Play it with the keys. If you can get your head around that, if you put your joystick down, use keys. You can define every key, so you put it exactly as you want, and I would do that, because some for some reason, N and M is up and down in the basic keys, which is the most stupid placement I've ever seen for up and down, because they're left yeah, and right of each other. You need to be redesigning other. them. Yeah, it's silly. Stupid. So yeah, redesign them. You can change it for everything. You can redefine every key for the movement, up, down, left, right, firing fireballs, shooting lightning. You can center the screen, which is kind of handy. Uh, you can keep something, drop something. You can open, close, get status. You can heal. You fire arrows in four directions. It's even a nice touch. You can change the. You can change it from a color variant to black and white. If you're playing on a black and white TV, it changes all the contrast, changes the colors, so it's more vibrant and more seeable on a black and white TV. And you can also change the key for waggling your sword, which I'm going to say doesn't look like waggling your sword at all it looks a bit no. rude it looks a little bit rude it looks like you're waggling your thing in the halls of the things but there you go it's worth redefining refine, refine it for your own preference i'd say don't go do that starting the game ask you to wait a moment and as it generates the seven floors you are about to face because you see seven magical rings have been hidden on seven floors of a tower and a key has been hidden in the dungeon at the bottom the object of this game is simply to navigate the seven floors find the rings make it down to the bottom find the key and the exit and get out in one single run that's why this is a roguelike. Simple. When the maze is generated, you will be astounded by the 1983 visuals. They're very, very basic. Let's put it that way. Closest thing I can liken it to is Berserk. I suppose it looks a bit like Berserk. Yeah, I'd um, go with that, I think. Yeah, because you, you, you are a small figure. The maze is rendered by green sort of lines for the walls, purple bricks for some parts of it, um, I guess. You start outside the tower, and there's a staircase to your left. And there's, there's like, as you go up them, each... This is quite a clever thing, actually, because as you go up each sort of staircase, there's like these lines that represent staircases. The maze, which is on the left of the screen that you can move into, kind of changes to represent the different floors you're going up. That's actually quite a nice touch to sort of represent uh, going up through the different floors. So there's some nice coding here and some you know, nice bits. And this is, game is actually quite well regarded when looking around about it. This was um, re- even re-reviewed on Eurogamer, um, I think in 2007. So this, this, you know, this is a game that has a bit of a reputation for being more than the visual sum of its parts, should we say. So the game... so. Once you once you've chosen, you know which uh, which floor you want to go into. It's best to start at the bottom. You just sort of move left into it, and it's essentially you, you'll see a series of rooms and doors that are sort of dotted lines, and you can go up to them, you can open them. And the game itself is like a flick screen adventure of sorts. But like I said, with those roguelike elements, every game is different, every run is different. There's no saving, there's no continuation of. You don't get stats and move them over to the next one. That's what what makes this quite roguelike, I guess. I may be wrong. Someone can correct me, but that's my understanding of roguelikes anyway. So every attempt is different, no stats, details carried over. Pressing the status key, which is one by default, brings up your status unsurprisingly. And here you can see how much magic you have left for casting spells, how wounded you are, uh, how many things you've killed, and how many arrows you have left. <laughs> These are all graded from 100% to 0%. Don't help with the number of arrows. because um, no, it does not. I, if, you have a, if you have two arrows and you have both of them, you have 100% of your arrows, which is the same as having 200 yep. and having all 200. I need to know a number 
I just need to know a number. Just give me a number. Anyway, moving around the maze, you collect potions to heal you. And what I th- think is treasure as well is a treasure you can pick up. So you move around with the keys, left, right, up, down. When you get near the tre- treasure and stuff or anything to pick up, you just press the keep. Uh, so you pick stuff up. You can, that, by default, that is the joystick button as well. But I you know don't use the joystick the things of the title they are things wandering around and a lot of this is just character graphics but most of it is just character graphics so these character graphics will be spinning around going around really moving right quite fast and when they get within sight of you they attack um and they'll fire electricity at you and whatever sort of thing so and if they hit you they do a lot of damage sending lightning arrows lightning and arrows in your general direction you can protect yourself with fireballs now the fireballs are quite cool because they track so they'll home in on the enemies, and that's quite nice. But obviously that uses magic, so you need to find potions to keep that uh, tucked up. Same with uh, lightning bolts, which sort of bounce around the environment. Um, your arrows, you can fire them, but they fire straight in the direction fired. So I said you've got four four keys to fire your arrows, up, down, left, right. Press one of them, and it'll fire in that direction. But you've, only got, you've either got 100% of them or some percentage of arrows, which is never quite clear. And that's, that's about it, really. You're just wandering around, opening doors, firing arrows, killing monsters. It's gauntlet-like as well, to a degree. In in a, in a in a sense, it's like an early version of Gauntlet. Navigating the mazes is quite fast, um, almost too fast uh, and tricky. Is things are speedy. You're speedy. You'll overshoot openings and picking up stuff. You'll be firing all over the place, and the things t- don't hesitate to do you in. And so your each run of this can be over surprisingly fast. You get in and you're like, oh, you're dead. Try again. And it's one of those kind of that kind of game. There's no save option, so every go is a challenge to try and navigate the randomly generated maze in front of you. Um, I'm assuming the generation is somewhat procedural, not entirely random. I couldn't find anything online one way or the other, but there's obviously some clever coding here going underneath the hood, which is what actually makes this game quite interesting. I'm just putting this out there, but if anyone's got any information on how this is made or what it is, how it's coded, one of our listeners, if you can let us know, that would be great. I'm really interested and I'd like to know because I'm kind of interested in that sort of stuff. But let's come to the question. Is, is this any good? It's interesting in what it does. Uh, it feels more like a coding challenge that morphed into a game rather than the other way around. It feels like they were sort of like, can we do this? What is it? And then sort of it became this game rather than, I don't know, didn't feel particularly well designed in some degrees because it's not, because it's random. Um, I may be wrong with that, but it certainly feels its age. And so it feels like they were trying to make lots of levels from a you know a procedural key. And that we sort of we see a lot of that these days. And so, I th- you know, to get around memory and so they don't have to store it and every game can be different and keep that sort of thing. It's quite influential on a few things. Um, I felt that this was quite influential on stuff like Master of Magic. I think that owes quite a bit to this because the small sort of character graphics that are wandering around the mazes and stuff is a bit similar to this. Maybe even um, on, I, don't, I, have, I haven't read the book, the Diceman book, but it, I, wouldn't, I would be very surprised if Livingstone and Jackson hadn't played this and some, you know, took some inspiration for the fighting fantasy game books in some way, wandering around levels, trying to collect rings and mazes and stuff and going, you know, getting out. I think it's a, there's kind of a lot of that in this. Probably this takes probably inspiration from uh, early mud and stuff like that. So multi-user dungeons and stuff like that. It feels like an early example of loads of roguelike games that we have today because they ex- kind of exploded around 2010 when indie game designers realized it was cheaper to generate levels randomly from a procedural seed than to have to design them. See Minecraft, you know, but is this worth going back to? I don't know. It's not without its charms. It's pretty basic. I think if you get used to the controls, then you might enjoy this a bit of a historical oddity and curio. It obviously held its appeal back then because it got 88% and they were really effusive about it. But I found it just a little too Spectrum-esque in its controls for my liking. The speed of the play was just a little too fast. And and I pre- you know, as someone who codes stuff, I appreciated the coding of it. I think this is quite clever, but I just don't think I got on with playing it that much. I like the fact that it has a black and white mode, though, something that I don't think we've seen in a game so far, which is quite good. 
Um, you're just changing the graphics. And when you do, you flick screen. I also like the ability to press the space bar to center the screen. So that basically just, because if, if you're right next to the edge of the screen, you don't know what's about to come on. You press the space bar and suddenly you're in the middle and you can see what's to the left or the right. Yep, that's quite good. I like that. You know, I guess the abstract and simple nature of this allowed it all to be done um, with the coding and stuff. But still, it's, it's clever and has some nice touches, I guess, um, like that black and white mode. This it was okay, it, not particularly my you know cup of tea all, all day long, but I can see why some people would like this. But it is what it is. I think it's just an early nineteen eighty three Spectrum game, well ported to the C sixty four. But that's what it is. What about you? It's hard to say much about this. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's some interesting details about this actually. Um, it's funny that you um, linked it through to um, Ian Livingston and Steve Jackson because the engine that this game um, was created with was the same engine that was used to create the for uh, the wallock of firetop mountain game on the spectrum by the same people oh really so the, was it yeah so there's the ah, wallock of firetop okay. mountain was created by crystal computing same guys and then they used that engine which is you know it looks it almost looks if you look at the screenshots of that it's very similar to this What's and they called? used that engine then to create um okay. the halls of the things which is interesting little note side note did they make that so, first or this first the uh, Wallach of Firetop Mountain came first. Oh, right. Okay. I think. What year was that? It says, it, says, it says in the blurb, using the gaming engine and graphical style, that would be seen, sorry, seen again in Warlock of Firetop Mountain. So this came this came first. So this is the chicken um, or the egg, one of the two, possibly the yeah, egg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Warlock of Firetop Mountain didn't come out until 1984. So. so, But it's interesting that you made the link there to to the Livingstone. And I've, I've actually got a copy of the Diceman book, so I'll have a dive into that. I've not had really a chance to look at it properly yet um, to see if there is any mention of any of that. Because like you said, there's definite leanings on it, isn't there? It is kind of gauntlet here, I think, as well. Very proto-gauntlet. Um, there's stuff to like. I mean, if you've got to you know suspend your you know modern concept of gaming a little bit here and take games right back. And nowadays, they do this all the time. I mean, there was even a version of this re-released for... I think um, for t- in 2003, someone did a version of it, of the Hall of, Halls of the Things, like a more modern version. It's principally the same thing. There's mileage in a game like this, where it's procedurally randomly generated dungeons. You have to go on a quest through them in a single take. And there's, there's loads of things, you know, there's a lot to like about that. Um, and testament to that, you know, we've said it actually about a few games where, you know, there's some concepts of games and some concepts of things just stand the test of time because they're kind of timeless. You know, dungeon questing, Diving through things to collect the rings across, you know, these are old tales retold. The Lord of the Rings is nothing, and those things are nothing if not tales of rings being lost and found and places and dungeons and things to go in. And these things are timeless, you know, so they, when they exist in a game, as long as the game doesn't over-egg the pudding and make it stupid, they're going to work. And this is a good example of that for me. Um, I really enjoyed playing it. I just, you know, I, you know, I didn't care about the visuals. Yes, they're very basic, but this is you no. Know, this game, that Stickman game that came out on mobile not that long ago, was all Stickman, and you know, it wasn't crazy brilliant mm-hmm. visuals. It's about the game itself, and this game is really good fun to play. You're right. You know, do play this with keys. Don't play this with joystick because that's the way it should be played. Um, I enjoyed it. I, I mean, I had to make the speed a bit slower because you can choose the speed of the game, can't you? So I had to slow myself yeah. down a bit because you now it was breakneck speed when I was training. By the way, if you want a real <laughs> laugh. Put your uh, emulator into warp mode and then try that. It's hilarious. <laughs> no. Um, but now, I, I'm, I mean, I don't have a lot more to say about it other than what you said. It's, this is a good game. It is in very basic clothing. There's no doubt about that. But it was made at a time when things were very basic. But in here is the core of an excellent game, a game type that has persisted. And we've seen it time and time and time again. Druid, Gauntlet. Um, there's loads of them. There's loads of games where, mm. you know, this this central conceit of entering into a dungeon of full of rooms and things that shoot at you. Now, this is, I think this is the earliest version of Gauntlet we've come across. If this had two player, it would be Gauntlet. Yeah, yeah, so, it would be. So it definitely. I think, 
very important. It's a very, I think it's a very important game, actually, in its own little way. Mm. Um, and they made yep. a very important contribution to the world of computer games when they made that first Spectrum version of this. Yeah, Warlock Firetop Mountain did come after it, and it's just definitely it's the same game, and it just coloured red red walls. Yeah, very, yeah. exactly. But, you know, it's got an Scott. engine. You know, why not do that? Why not do that? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. But there's obviously wow. those minds are whirring and stirring at the same time, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the fact that Crazy. you said, you know, I wonder if they, I wonder if they were inspired by this game. And I think what the safest thing to say is that you know, the, the, there's an alignment of thought process behind a game, how a game could look if you were going to interpret those, those kind of those choose your adventure type books and a visualization of it. And later, Master of Magic is another visualization of the same kind yeah. of principle. Like I said core ideas they come back they yeah do. and i mean I, I guess i mean this would go i mean this was also inspired by some of the sort of top-down stuff we've seen in like games like ultima games i think which came before this and then also as well dungeons and dragons as well would have also fed into all this but yeah, yeah don't doubt all so that. I'm, not, I'm not saying this is like wholly original it's just taking those fancy tropes and putting them in something but yeah no but i think what was what the, th- the key takeaway here is that a this, the, the idea of this game is a timeless idea and therefore it works in that respect even if it's basic it still works yeah yeah Absolutely. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought I thought it got a good review, actually. The review was quite interesting in Zap. Two quid, though. What a bargain, really, because you have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, once you get used to it. Yeah, because it's because it's random as well. You'll never... That's the whole thing of these games, those yeah, roguelike well, games. Totally different each time. Yeah. yeah. See, see how fast you can do a run. That's how they I do it. I liked it. I liked it. I liked what it represented as well. Um, and we've seen such crappy budget games of late that this was a light relief from some of that in some ways. Yeah. It was. There we go. Halls of the Things. We liked it. We did like that. Mm. It's all right. Let's move along. I'm sure we'll love the next one. Time to uh, get back to the racing track. Put on your helmet, your pack helmet, and tell us all about Championship Sprint. Well, contrary to what you might think, I think nobody loved this. Because it <laughs> really? is really? tragic. Uh, Ten quid this this is 10 quid of your earth money got to pay for license and it's 24 uh, percent in zapparoo this is from electric dreams essentially a follow-on from super sprint wasn't it now was there a championship sprint arcade as well or yes, was this there a, was, yes is this is a oh, side yeah, call that they've done themselves i never because i've never seen it i've never seen championship sprint in the arcade no there is a championship sprint arcade yes all right i didn't know that but anyway um so this was developed by um something some group called catalyst coders um Software Studios producing David Joliffe, David Wainwright on coding duties, graphics of Mark Jones and David Joliffe. And the title screen was Mark Jones. Joliffe, Joliffe, Joliffe. Why did he do this? Why? Um, I don't so know. I don't know. This is a sequel to Super Sprint. It's more of the same sort of thing. More tracks in an editor, essentially. Mm-hmm. So it plays the same, essentially the same, except there's a couple. there's an extra couple of details. So the track's... You, you get eight tracks in this, eight redefinable, lovely redefinable tracks. Um, there is an extra player, I think. So now you can play three other players as well as the four. So there's four players in it, you and three others, I think. And it essentially follows the same, you know, you start the game, you tr- race around the track in mini mode from, you know, nine million feet above the earth. You <laughs> race your little racing car around the track. It's similar to the other games of this type that we played. It's basically the same as Super Sprint, albeit with a few extra details and a few major issues. Now, the original Super Sprint was a real buggy mess when I encountered it. It had bugs all over the shop. It didn't work very well. Um, mm-hmm. But it was at least a nearly playable version of Super Sprint. There was some, it was in there somewhere. It just, you know, it was spoiled by the bugs. And then subsequently, other games have come out that have been better than this. What was that micro mini one that we played that was better than that? Grand Prix Simulator. Yeah, with the car skidding around the track. That was much yeah. better. That was quite good fun. That was good. 
then they've mm-hmm. obviously had the BMX type games where you've got that kind of that that idea of a super sprint type logic applied to different modes of transport, as it were, but mm-hmm. essentially the same. So I'm guessing that the arcade anti for this, I know I didn't look for the arcade, but I'm guessing the arcade anti was simply up. So there wouldn't have been a track designer in the arcade, I don't think. So this would have just been more tracks, I think, and more stuff mm-hmm. than perhaps yeah. another place. So I imagine there's four steering wheels as opposed to three on the original, whatever that might look like, I don't know. Um, so the C64 version of this comes along then, and it's immediately it's immediately obvious that there's something not right. Um, the way it starts, um, when you get past it, I'll come back to the sort of opening screens, but when you get into the game, because it's got this really weird, when it started for me, it had this really weird, the track editor was sort of instantly on. Did it do that for you? Yeah, it didn't, yeah it did, yeah. So... And then it had this kind of weird version of almost like a Windows type environment where the kind of the, the menus kind of scrolled down from the top. It was I get what they were trying to trying to achieve, but it was everything was slow. And therein lies the biggest problem with the whole thing. It's really sluggish. This yep mm-hmm. compared to Super Sprint, it, this, it, everything feels sluggish. The way the menus pop down, the way you move around, the way you sort of plot is slow and sluggish. And the graphics they're kind of the same. They're a bit lamer, I think, actually. But the tracks look okay. They look like tracks. And the things on it, you know, when I started the game, I was instantly harassed by what must be a tornado or something. It was just, <laughs> yeah. this, just stuff like that. On, and, and that sort of stuff happens. Okay, that's the kind of parameters of this. It's a racing game. You're racing around track. Stuff gets in the way. Stuff happens. You bump into things. But because it's got this weird slowness about it, it, it the controls really feel weird when you're driving around the track. Mm-hmm. So I just kept perpetually hitting the side, the barriers, no matter what I seemed to do. I couldn't turn my turning arc was too slow for the bends. So unless I slowed down, but I slowed down too quickly. So it was really weird. So it, controls are wrong. The, the balance and the, the, the dynamism of the controls were off, which make, and in a game like this, that's a fatal mistake because the whole game idea of these games are, it's either crazy, frantic, multiplayer scramble around the track and you're bumping into each other and stuff like that. That's not going to happen here because it's like starting off in an ice cream truck. It's like, <laughs> and I'm heading towards the corner. I'm like, <laughs> awful. Just lumpy and dull. It doesn't control right. It's not right. Something, Something's wrong right from the off. And when you go back to the title screen, that title screen music, um, that was a challenging auditory catastrophe <laughs> akin to having your ears syringed with a CO2 fire extinguisher. Painful on the ears, that. It's just all yep. horrible. The mint green backgrounds that you've got the sort of tracks on, <laughs> the dull tracks. The tracks aren't designed with any real challenge. They just apply stuff in them which makes them quite boring. The first one is kind of a weird figure of eight that feels pointless. If you get lost in the track, you cannot win. Same problem that we had with a couple of other games of this type. There's no way to win. If you're playing the computer AI, can't win. Yeah. You make one uh-huh. mistake, you're done. Because you can never catch them up because you're too slow. It's really strange. Um, just no. No, 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 no. Something has gone badly wrong here. They've taken the original Super Sprint and made it worse. They've demaked their own game and it wasn't great to begin with. Um if you're going to make a sequel to something and it's based on, you know, an arcade or whatever, take the bad things from the first game and make, take them away because that's good to do that. And then look at all the good things that were in there and do more of those things. That's a sequel. I say you make a sequel. It's, you know, it's a fairly tied and tested formula, really, that. Uh-huh. So you just, you know, in simple logic, do things better in the second <laughs> game than you did in the first one. Don't do this, which is make things worse. Even adding the extra play doesn't help. It just adds pointless complexity to something. Get the basics right. Get the control of the car correct. Because in a game that's based around the control of the car, it's fundamental to the logic. If you don't do that, you end up with this. Slow paced. Doesn't make sense. The track editor, all right, it's there, but it's not very good. Um, I find it quite difficult to maneuver because it's just slow and ploddy. And by the time I'd, I'd sort of got around to getting a track there, I was like, I don't, I'm not bothered anymore. Who'd want, who'd want to do that and waste the time doing that? 
I felt this was a crap demake, and it's just too slow. Just get lost. Don't charge full price for this. There's better budget variants of this anyway already. This is just it's just another whitewash of a game that shouldn't have been pushed out, at least until it was finished. Because clearly mm-hmm. this has been released half finished, or not even the fit fully not even half finished. Tragic. Tragic. Just why would you if you can buy a budget version of this, which is better, why on earth would you play this? So no. Zap gave it twenty four percent. I'd have given it a hell of a lot less. Crap. Utter crap this. Waste of people's money and time. Terrible. Did you like it? No. In fact, you've pretty much said everything I wanted to. And I, I can handle crappy sprites if the racing is fun and the handling feels enjoyable. But here, the sprites are crap. The speed is lumpen and the handling is dreadful. And three things combined to make this a dreadful, dreadful experience. It's worse than Super Sprint and a thousand miles behind Grand Prix Simulator, which may have looked like square boxes racing around, but handled great and was fun to play. We've seen that the C64 can do that, you know, whipping out the back end of the thing is the controls and the physics work. But like you yeah. said here, it's, the first time you go to a corner, that whole thing about Super Sprint, which was twanging the steering wheel and whipping around something, which they managed to sort of replicate in Grand Prix Simulator, it's just lost. It's like, oh, it's time to turn. It's like turning a a, a barge. Um, yeah, it's really it's awful. Chucky. It's horrible. Uh, I mean, this is just another in a long line of poor conversions that should be better than this. We've seen a budget game demonstrate that the C64 is more than capable of doing a decent rendition of Super Sprint. Not just one. BMX Simulator is. That's, yeah, Exactly. We, so Codemasters have come along and done two. Even Pro BMX Simulator, which one brilliant, but it's better than this. That's three yep. budget games, all taken the, the Super Sprint formula and made better versions of it. So I don't know why. Why are both Super Sprint and Championship Sprint just so awful? I don't understand. Um, only thing I can say is this needs more than a change of tyres and some fresh fuel to get this one out of the pits, that's for sure. And finally, I'm just going to do it, Championship Sprint. <laughs> Yes, I'm glad you... I wasn't going to do that, but I'm glad you have. Yeah, it is that. <laughs> I felt it is terrible. It needed, it needed to be done um, because this is this was dreadful. The way those menus were coming down were really awkward and horrible and Ooh, the colours... And when it booted up, and it, like you said, it was just that horrible mint green nastiness. No, nope, Don't nasty. do that. Don't. Please don't do that. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Ugly and horrible. It's no way to go through life. Nope. Uh, and this game does. Right, there we go. That's Championship Sprint. Let's move on to our next one. We've got another racing game coming up of sorts, which, uh, well, it can only be better, can't it? Because it can't be yeah. any worse, can it? Can it? Can no, it? not at all. Please no, tell, our, tell our listeners it can't be any worse. It can't be any worse. <laughs> all right, let's, let's see, shall we? This is uh, Shirley Muldowney's Top Fuel Challenge. Yeah, this was £9.99. Woo! Um, yeah. This is, I think this is our first drag Drag car racing, isn't it, game? I don't think we've had a drag car racing game. I, I, for some reason, I thought we'd had another one, but I, I could be wrong. I don't I don't seem to remember any. Maybe we have, I don't know, but whatever it was obviously slipped out of my mind. So this uh, zooms into view. Now, importantly, I mean, let's, let's take something away from this. This is one of the very few games of any type, especially in racing games, to feature a woman as the main, um, you know, yeah, character, that's pretty character incredible. Shirley Muldowney in a very positive way. It's just a shame the game is utter crap, which is a bit of a, yes. a down on the whole thing. I'm just, you know, just getting it out there before, you know, so don't expect stuff to go uphill here. Who was Shirley Muldowney? Uh, she was otherwise known as Chacha, according to Wikipedia, or the first lady of drag racing. She was the first woman to receive a license from the National Hot Rod Association, the NHRA, to drive a top fuel dragster. She won the NHRA Top Fuel Championship in 1977, 1980, and 1982 becoming the first person to win two and three top fuel titles 
She won a total of 18 NHRA national events. And supposedly, according to what she's written on the Wikipedia, what she said, she had a film made of her, of her life as well. She said the NHRA fought her every step of the way that she didn't want women in there. Like, well, crazy. You know, shows nonsense. Anyway, uh, yeah. So the, 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 uh, she said that it's Bonnie Bedelia who played her in the film. She said the film's okay, but mm, her, her performance is terrible. Bonnie Bedelia said she didn't even like drag racing and she gets out of it. She said it's just all wrong. Anyway, that's what she said about the film. On to the game, though. This is from US Gold. Uh, originally developed by Cosme, though, with coding by Robert D. Bonifacio. Bonifacio? Bonifacio? And graphics by Mr. Paul Norman. Mr. Bonifacio did Richard Petty's Tally Degger. Oh, yeah. And somehow oh, he's managed to make something worse. He's managed to make something worse that doesn't even have corners. I don't know how you do it. Oh, it's just a straight dear. line. <laughs> Paul Norman must have done these visuals red drunk or something. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in this game. When this eventually loads, um, for the love of God, don't choose to see the title screen. Did you choose to see the title screen on the first go? Did you must have done? Tell me you did. Unfortunately. <laughs> don't unfortunately, do it. We're, we are I going did, to yeah. save you five minutes of your life. Don't choose to see the title screen as you are greeted to a slow moving drag racing car moving onto the screen from left to right as a horrific horrific whine assaults your ears um it's just dreadful awful anyway once this lifetime is over you get to the menu screen we are first told of the event info which covers the name location the class the number of cars and the winning amounts that you're going to be partaking in. So you just straight into the event. There you go. This is what you could. This is what you could win. This has a weird progression system of how you move from menu to menu. Moving the joystick here, just move the joystick in any direction. It takes you to the options menu, which has the time counting down until the qualifying starts or is over. I couldn't quite work it out. I didn't. Not sure which. So. You've got four options here. You can see the event screen again, if you want to. You can see the track conditions. And, oh God, you can do maintenance or you can go qualify. There's nothing here that's going to take 30 minutes. So I have no idea why they need the countdown here. I don't know. I don't understand. It's pointless. The menu is controlled by the joystick. And despite them, all the options being in a vertical row. So one, two, three, four, all, you know, go down in a line, go down in a row. Moving the joystick in any direction highlights the one downwards. I've said this before. I think it was match day two. I hate this kind of selection stuff. Choosing, so, you know, choose to move it. Let me move it up and down. Don't, just, oh, shouldn't move me down. Never. No. Anyway, choosing to see the track conditions allows you to see uh, just the text, which tells you nothing. <laughs> it doesn't tell you actually anything, does it? It doesn't tell you anything or actually see it. And this prompts some more loading. There's a lot, and it is slow. <laughs> Once done, <laughs> this is dead funny. You got a view down the track where your drag racer moves slowly into the distance, while two extras from the teddy bears picnic saunter across the road. Did you watch this? Did you do this bit? <laughs> what is it? It's utterly Unfortun bizarre. Unfortunately, yes, it's just <laughs> stupid and weird. It's utterly bizarre. Once again, tells you nothing of the track conditions. I have no idea, no idea who the teddy bears are, or where they're going, or what this is supposed to be telling you. I don't know what is happening here. In the maintenance menu, you can fix stuff if it gets broken. So the end and the clutch fuel tires and and just another there's another one just says others you know all those other unimportant bits on a car <laughs> the bits you don't need to know the names of just others don't need to worry about that you don't need to worry about that just fix the others well what no just fix the others just fix them none of this feels good because sometimes you press the fire button to move into a menu sometimes you press the joystick button in a direction to leave it it's never coherent it's never co just all over the place anyway let's go race so because so, hopefully after all that crap maybe the racing will be great it's paul norman can't be that bad you know maybe it'll be great so after more loading it tells you to hold the fire button to engage the clutch we then get the in-game view which is sat inside the car itself with the track 
in front of you in 3D. Okay, hold your horses because this doesn't look great. Pushing up on the joystick gets the revs going. Uh, but be careful because if, if you go over 600, if you go over halfway, it goes to the red, it blows the engine and that's it. So that that's what happens. And you're, you're kicked out of the race because you've blown your engine. I couldn't get a race started. That's the problem. I watched a YouTube video where they manage it and tried to replicate it, but I either got a burnout and had to try again, or I blew the engine, at which point you're said, your racing's over. And then you get to watch all the races happen in the competition. You just watch, Essentially, you just watch Shirley, Mul- Shirley Muldowney win every competition every time. This must have been part of the license. Um, I have to win every race. Well, you might not. No, I do. I do. Okay. If you because you'll fail to race, you then go back to the menu screen. You've got enough money to replace the engine once. You can do that, and you'll need some more fuel as well. The men, the way you do this is counterintuitive. You've got to be on that selection button in the maintenance bit, and then you just press spacebar, even though it says press fire to confirm. So why it's suddenly the spacebar, I don't know. Or you press fire and it says okay, but that moves the choice. It's very confusing. It's all very very confusing. You put your money in you put the engine new engine in you go back you repeat you blow up your engine it's game over because you've got no more money i got the car moving once but that but i didn't stop it i think what you've got to do is you've got to get the car moving then stop then the lights will come on and then you've got to start moving again but every time i did that it just went oh you burnt out i was like what have i done i don't this there's nothing i don't understand i don't understand what you want me to do there's no in here and i don't get it so i got it moving once so if you just hold down let go of the fire button and start moving it's like just like you just let the drag race drags drags are just coast off along the track like it's people walking past going yeah he's moving really slow yeah this is the best, best drag race ever but now nah, it's really not it's terrible um it just you just realized that the 3d is crap as well so god knows what's happening here this is a deeply deeply poor piece of software on all fronts the presentation is basic and lackluster loads of basic text just a Commodore font and odd options where sometimes it is move the joystick and sometimes press the fire button. So there's no consistency to navigation within these menus. There's no real in to the racing. So blowing up and burning out all the time is no fun. Why not include an auto start mode where all you have to do is watch the revs to allow people to get a feel for the racing and, you know, make it simpler, have different levels of difficulty to still, you know, I want to race my drag racing car in my drag racing game that I've spent money on. I can't do it. This is dreadful. When you don't let people play the game you have made, then you've got a big problem. When all the front end makes people not want to play the game again, you have a bigger problem. This is a bad game. And I feel that early pioneers in these sports deserve better than this shoddy shit, which is what it is on every level. Very poor indeed. This is more like bottom fuel rather than top fuel, and no one wants that. Graham, what did you think? Hell no. <laughs> that was my first statement. Hell no. <laughs> Yeah. This is a bad thing. Someone did a bad thing. <laughs> it's dragster simulation. Every week we think it can't get worse. Every week. <laughs> well, I suppose. I mean, firstly, dragsters are kind of a US thing. This is obviously its heart and its soul has been manufactured in the US. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine for people that are aware and understanding of what drag racing is and the parameters of all of that and all the various conditions that are around it and all that stuff, maybe, maybe if you really are, you know, happy to click and do moves and click and joystick and all of crazy. Maybe there's something there for you, maybe. But you'd have to be pretty lenient on everything to get out something out of that. I think, you know, your £10 investment is not, you know, your return on that is not necessarily going to be what you think. No. So if, you, if you're if you an American dragster fan and you've heard of Shirley Muldowney, no doubt, by then, and you, you know, maybe this, maybe that's for you. But for me, me here in the UK, 
This is simply out and out dog egg. There's no way around it. It's awful. It's yeah. horrible. Yeah. Of all the things you could simulate, fine. All right. Drag racing, you know, drag racing in a straight line at the, in these crazy speed cars. And I've seen it on TV a couple of times. I think, wow, that's crazy that they do that. But I don't care, understand, or want to be involved in the parameters of it. I don't. And nor does this game because, you know, they've thrown the parameter switches at this and gone, right, just, you know, Stick them anywhere. It doesn't matter. Someone will navigate their way around that. And eventually you end up with that god-awful race thing. And I don't know what I was doing. I just took off like a missile and then I don't know. I was like, well, I didn't want to do any more than that. I'm like, no. The setup that you have to go for all this does not equate to anything I want to be involved in. Um, This is needles in the eyes. This is, you know, this is sitting on a very painful spike. There's nothing nice about this. It's horrible. Um, I would rather go to the toilet. And I did. And it was much better. (laughs) Yeah. No. No, 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 not for me. No, for Dragster fans who are willing, who've got ten pounds that they want to burn, go and do it. It got thirteen percent in Zap. Of course, it did because it's literally nonsensical UI gibberish with some kind of three D Dragster splat thrown in at the end. Get lost. Don't ever come back. You're not coming around for tea. Well, no, the thanks. good thing is about Dragsters is they can only go in straight lines. So once it sets off, it ain't coming back. So, no, and, you know. and all the amazing achievements that, and all of that difficulty that Shirley Muldowney must have had to go through to achieve the prominence in that spot and all of this craziness that she must have had to go through and to be rewarded with that. Yeah. You'd be like, well, thank you, but you know, F you very much is what yeah. I would be saying to that. And I'm sure she probably did. Probably. So, and she got in a dragster and drove off at high speed in one direction. <laughs> Yeah, Luckily, unfortunately, a, a house was down down had one corner to go round, and she never made it. <laughs> no, <laughs> so, I... um, so uh, no, 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 indeed. There we go. Shirley Muldowney's top fuel challenge is awful on every front. That worst game is getting harder, and it's going to be a massacre at the end of this year it's going to be a tough nut to crack that one (laughs) i don't know what's going to win we've still got seven months left to get through so you know we still may be surprised by other crapola oh come on let's go into our last one we've got one more left and graham (laughs) time for you to become the prowler dun 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 so Prowler is a Mastertronic game. Yes. Um, it was coded by, well, if you believe the the lemon, it was coded by William F. Denman Jr. That's the guy that did Acrojet. Um, but on the actual game, it says Mike Denman. So maybe, I don't know, some confusion. The graphics are by Gotham Graphics. I don't think that's a real person. Um, anyway, <laughs> and the design was William F. Denman Jr. <laughs> maybe. Could, anyway. Could parents have really like Batman. So it's just settle in for a minute. This is the story for this. Ever since 2060, Earth has been at war. The menace of the evil Perudusians cannot be <laughs> overstated. Mean, vicious and callous. The Perudusians, sorry, desire for expansion and the lack of planets suitable for occupation by normal oxycarbon life forms have led to stalemate. Chirpy. In the initial stage of the war, it was thought that the space fleets would be the vital arm. But in the vastness of space, it is too easy to avoid an enemy and the real war turned out to be fought on the surface of planets with the spaceships reduced to mere convoy escorts. The real campaign was being fought by the planetary arms of the forces. Expeditions to lake... To lake? Expeditions to lake and hold planets. I think that's... I'll take. Expeditions to take and hold planets and operations to hold territory against attack, either from full-scale invasions by the Perudusians or suicide strikes from single spacecraft capable of wrecking major havoc for all small foes or small loss. For a, Sorry, for a small loss. It's, it's, it's just printed on something that's quite difficult to read, so you have to forgive me that. Okay. Sorry. The war continues with no end in sight. Your mission is to defend the planet of Ursa Minor Delta V 
known by its native inhabitants, a small mouse-like animal that has not evolved beyond the Bronze Age as Farron Toes. <laughs> what? 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 Yeah, so you've got... You're, so the, you're defending the planet of Ursa Minor, Delta Five, but it's also known as Ferentu because of the Ferentus, which are um, mouse-like animals that have not evolved beyond the Bronze Age. All right. <laughs> That's a good turn. <laughs> you, you have received intelligence that this planet is targeted, uh, targeted as the next to be attacked. You will fly a Northall Q-15C assault helicopter, the latest development of the successful oh. line. Like, so this is starting to feel like it's been written by uh, Double O's gadget guy. <laughs> you will face overwhelming odds, but you cannot afford to fail. Your Northall Q-15C is fitted with the latest in assault weaponry from, Chim- from Chimera. Your default weapon is the Stinger. Ooh. Firing a heavy shell. Sorry, from Chimera. <laughs> Who's Chimera? Uh, that's just, this says, it says, latest in assault weaponry from Chimera. So I'm guessing it's some company or something. Okay, um, all right. Your default weapon is the Stinger firing a heavy shell <laughs> <laughs> that you have almost unlimited supplies of. In fact, 999 shells. I'm not sure that's what I would call unlimited. Okay, no. we'll leave it there. No. <laughs> Honestly, this is written by an imbecile. This is a single target weapon. Four missile systems meet the varied needs of the fr- the roles as the frontline's attack craft. The Hornet's Nest Z, a medium-range air-to-air missile capable of hitting up to five targets in a close grouping in a single shot. The Dragon X, short-range air-to-air missile. That's the button you've got to press. To, oh, to sorry, yeah, sorry, them. Dragon. Sorry, sorry, Hornet's Nest is the name of the missile. And Dragon, sorry, yeah. Uh, it's a short-range air-to-air missile. A high-yield device, especially for destroying la- uh, large, highly-armoured aircraft such as enemy motherships, not accurate at long ranges. The Wolf Pack, an air-to-ground missile with separately targetable warheads able to take out five closely grouped ground targets such as enemy tanks. And the Hammer, a short-range air-to-ground piercing missile designed for a single large target such as a hover ship. Okay. Missiles are armed by pressing the letter. Obviously, the correspondence. You can return to the stinger by pressing the selected missile's arming button again. Fire button will fire whichever weapon is selected, or the stinger if no missile is armed. <laughs> so you've got all that. I'm thoroughly immersed. I can imagine. Um, so essentially, that's the nuts and bolts of the game. There is a little bit more instrumentation description. I'm not going to go into it. You've got to save the you know the planet of the Ferentus from the evil uh, Perdusians. Right? Just remember that. <laughs> that you'd be killing any of them Ferentus, cute little creatures they are. So when you start the game, you have a you have a bunch of options. Um, so you can choose your skill level, which is rookie co-pilot, wingman, flight leader, or top gun. I wonder what they've been watching. Um, <laughs> and then you have a bunch of scenarios. So you've got tank training, air training, combo training, first contact, small skirmish, hostile colonization, full-scale invasion. Um, and these have varying different things that they involve. So one of them's got tanks only, there's aircraft only, aircraft with tanks, plus other ships, the works. Mothership exploration is these parameters. These are the scenarios. All right, timeout. I'm calling a timeout because this is this is crazy for 199. That's a lot of crazy stuff for a 199 game. What is it all about? This is a Skyfox uh-huh. style sh- fly and shoot with blocky stuff flying all over the bloody place. Um, the main window is a 3D-ish view, admittedly nippy, out of cockpit view with some ground detail in green, but with hills swooping around in sprite sprite vision. So there's this kind of green and black landscape which you're sort of flying across in your um helicopter <laughs> okay you sorry your xb whatever the hell it was called i can't remember the name of the craft now it was my sorry i need to know what it, it's my northall q15c assault <laughs> helicopter catchy we call, we it prowler. Clear on that? call it the prowler so i'm in my prowler there's blocky stuff flying all over the shop um and 
Um, obviously, in each of these scenarios, you go in and you have things to shoot and blow up. That's the, you fly around shooting and blowing stuff up, mm. D- defending the planet of Ferento from the bloody Peruvians, whatever it was. <laughs> so you've got this admittedly nippy-ish, but out of the cockpit view with some ground detail in green, as I've said. Um, the radar is the usual micro dot affair in a tiny box at the top of the UI, along with a whole load of numbers and letters that don't mean a thing, nor is there any description of what any of it really is. Under that, there's some dials, possibly borrowed from Acrojet, actually, uh, which have no bearing really on anything that you need in any context of what you're actually doing, which is just shooting at stuff. Yeah. It doesn't really matter about those things. Um, no. There are obviously keyboard and thingy controls, so to speed up, it's the keys one to nine. Those kind of things happen in this. And when you do that, you'll encounter the SID noise filter in full effect. So you've got that lovely white noise of flying around. Get used to that. Certainly um, do. And then obviously there's the token boom, boom, boom sounds as you blow stuff up uh, flying about. The stuff that flies at you is some kind of C64 white Sprite wasps that just fly about in an annoying sort of way, like buzzing about, like, and you just sort of swatting them out and shooting them out the sky. There's tanks as well, but they all kind of look like rapid tank wasps. I don't know what to describe them as, just blobs, white blocky blobs flying about there. <laughs> yeah. There are different enemy types, but they, they, and they do zoom in and out, I'll grant you, but they zoom from blocky to mega blocky it's not very nice um and display means you can sort of shoot the enemies in the window as you fly about in these kind of the way that these kind of games you've got like a target reticule and your missile types will shoot at the you know shoot at the objects and then yes you can choose the different missiles and yes they'll blow multiple things up your missiles come out like these giant white ping pong balls um which is kind of weird and then you get you you get ping pong balls fired back at you It's, it's kind of weird the whole game's kind of weird actually um so I don't know. It's just kind of a sh- it's kind of a Skyfox-ish cheap. It's a budget sh- it was budget shoot 'em up of that kind of ilk. Not very good though. Um, and there's, there's things to like in it, I guess. Um, in some respects, is that the actual engine of the game runs pretty fast, mm-hmm. so it doesn't hang about, I suppose. And it could have been one of those games where it was sluggish, horrible, vector even, but it could have been that. It's not that. It is. It does play fast. So fair enough. It's one ninety nine's worth of budget Skyfox. You know, this is this is budget. Budget is this Bisto Skyfox? It's the Lotus Theory. It's been sponsored by Bisto. This <laughs> packets or drums? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure which. Um, so it's it's a bit over green um, and black. There's a lot of green and black in this. So you know, there's a lot, you have to give yeah. yourself over to the to, you know the power of green. There's lots of array and there's a last massive array of dials and lights and you know and loads of stuff like that but mainly you're going to be focused in one small tiny window in the middle where you, the things that you're shooting at, which is festooned with blocky scale crazy. Um, and I think there's a lot of maybe ambition here, but it, it's two pounds. So what you're getting is two pounds worth of Skyfox. And this is what it looks like. Now take a few bits of Skyfox out, plonk it in this, throw an endless array of ping pong ball, like enemies at you and zoomy sprites. And then, you know, wrap some kind of crazy story around it. There you go. There's the game. Two quid. Boom. Um, not for me. I didn't enjoy it. Um, I, I think I'll stick to playing something with a bit more, a bit more about it. It just feels a bit cheap and nasty, and it's not very good. Um, car boot version of Skyfox, I think, best way I could describe it, and not very good. Do you enjoy it? Not really. Cumbersome budget Skyfox. That's how I've described it. Far too much black and green controls are simple enough, I guess. <laughs> but but I, I could never seem to get high enough to then start moving around as pointing my nose forward no. just nosedived me into the ground every time yep. um and so i couldn't figure out a way to fly the helicopter I just was like i don't understand this i could turn it and what have you and get off the ground but you you angle your you angle an helicopter don't you to move forward that's how, that's how yes. it goes the air yes, goes exactly. through the blades and pushes it yep. it just went donk straight into the floor i was like well i'm i'm at nine Something's speed right. whatever that is something's gone horribly wrong here 
when I so when I just hovered and just panned around, some objects went whizzing past and things and yeah, balls shot at me and I fired balls back. It reminded me not just of Sky Fox, but also do you remember Encounter? Paul yes. Wokes' Paul yes. Encounter. Yeah. That was firing the ball balls around, did, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 It reminded yeah, me a little bit of that as well. Although nowhere near as good. Encounter's way better than this. Encounter's one we do need to go back and look at at some point, by the way. So I let fly with some missiles. That was about it. Yeah. For two quid, yeah, it's budget. Skyfox, like you said, but you know, go play Skyfox or Ace, which are both yeah. better variants of this kind of, uh, you yep. know, air to ground, ground, uh, whatever type thing with, you know, big campaigns to do. But I get, you know, if it's two quid what and you can't afford them. Are those poor Ferran twos you're leaving behind? <laughs> I don't know. They're stuck in the Bronze Age. To be fair, I didn't save many of them because I just crashed my helicopter every time. So, you know, this is what it is. It's I love the idea of mice getting to the Bronze Age, though. I mean, that's, <laughs> that'd be impressive for a mouse, wouldn't it? Come at, the, the mouse comes at the cat with like a shield and a sword. You're like, goodness me, those mice have evolved to the, bra- to the Bronze Age. What's going on? <laughs> What's going They've on? Been Bisto. Who's been giving them bloody mice Bisto? <laughs> just banging the Bisto drums in the background. Boom, boom, the boom, Bisto boom, Age. Boom, boom. They've reached the Bisto Age. They're dangerous. <laughs> Everything, just everything's a bit clungy and a bit thick. The shields, the shields would be the little bisto tin lids. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we could, they'd come uh, like skydiving out the uh, out the air on uh, bisto packets, using them as uh, <laughs> as parachutes. Bisto parachutes, bisto shoots. We are the ferentus. We pray to the holy bisto. <laughs> uh, yes. Anyway, yeah. Back to this two pound Sky Fox with a fifth of the color and enjoyment. I think that's yeah, what I think. Sense. It's like black, black yeah. and green. So it's like they've got yep. you, we use 10 colors in Sky Fox. Uh, you can only use two for this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> not for me. This one for me now. Prowler, strange yeah. name as well. What's it got to do with anything in that description? It's never mentioned. It's never mentioned. Why didn't they call it? No, I don't know. Combat helicopter Delta Five. The planet's called Delta Five. Yeah, when when I saw the title for this was Prowler, I was expecting something a bit weird. Something I was almost expecting something a bit cheap version of sort of Death Wish Three or yeah. something along those lines or something. But a helicopter sim. Well, Sky I mean, Fox like nonsense. I said, I don't think they even know who it's by. On the actual box of the game, the cassette box, it says programmed by Mike Denman. Right. Who knows? So yeah, not good. No, no, it's not good. It's not, is it? It's a mess. It's a mess. it's just a bit all over the place. It's yeah, budget Sky Fox. Budget Fox. Small Fox. Yes, whatever. and it's it's not what it says in the box, which is a great air combat simulation. Hmm. No, it's been a no, lot of time in the air, that. so I wouldn't I wouldn't agree with that. No, I didn't have any I didn't have any moment where I was experiencing great air combat at all. <laughs> no. So, no, no, so, no. So so no, no. There we go. That's it. That's our eight games for this week. We have looked at, what have we looked at? Uh, we started with Packland, which was a good conversion of a influential arcade game, but a bit long in the tooth these days. Uh, we looked at Tanium, which smell of Smelly Bridge. We looked <laughs> when we waited around to not kill people in Wolfman. And yeah, don't just, kill anyone. Just, just don't, don't kill, kill anyone. anyone, all right? Yeah. Uh, we had our most interesting two games before and after the break, uh, where we had Corporation, which has mm-hmm. the, you know, the seeds, the startings of Command and Conquer and the the, the real-time strategy. Real-time strategy in there. Um, Then we had the interesting throwback of the Halls of Things, which was, you know, seeds of Gauntlet and all those kind of games that came came after it. Absolutely. That was okay. Then we had the triple dog egg of... Well, actually, the last one's not a dog egg. It's just 
budget Skyfox, but the double dog egg of Championship Sprint and Shirley Muldown is top fuel challenge. That's like buying a larder, isn't it, in the 80s? Those yeah, two. Yeah, that is. Yeah, you've you know, looked over the egg. <laughs> yeah, and you've, you've bought these. It's just, oh, what a double yeah. bill of awfulness. And finally, yeah, budget Skyfox in Prowler, a title that has nothing to do with the rest of the game, as far as I can see. <laughs> nothing. There we go. Um, that's it. That's it for this. We've got one more episode still to come to get get rid of May. Okay. So that's obviously next week. So, yeah, next week, what we've got coming up, we've got Stealth Mission. That'd be an interesting one. Disc only. It's another, I think it's a, it's not Vectors, is it? It's filled in. It's filled in, yeah. It's it's from the same people that did, uh, it's got quite a lineage of people behind it, I think, as I remember. Right. But I have a funny feeling it's going to be a one FPS nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see it is disc only so we'll see blood valley who knows impact could be anything these they're just words now aren't they they're just words yeah the scores aren't sailing the seas of greatness here no it's well no it's a bit of a bag of ass at this moment troll which is based on the big haired yeah, nonsense trolls things. yeah the troll dolls yeah one for you here power at sea which I think is going to be PHM Pegasus type thing. Yeah, I believe it's a naval simulation type deal. Yeah. Then we're running around the unfortunately titled Rim Runner, which I think has a different <laughs> connotations these days. Yeah, it's unfortunately, yes. <laughs> it's, you know, I think that that title has not aged well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's uh, there's mobile phone numbers with that written below it in phone boxes in London. Yeah. Uh, um, Terramex. <laughs> Uh, which is the concrete simulator, we decided. Uh, right. So we'll see if that's any good. And then finally, Herobotics, which is uh, from mm. Racket, I believe, so sort of budget budget Houston game. Okay. Uh, it's got a decent score. So that's it. That's what we've got coming up next week. We if do. you've enjoyed this episode and you've enjoyed all the rest of the nonsense that we keep putting out, you might want to support us and you can do that financially if you wish you can head over to patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past and you can join up for just a pound if you wish to just donate a pound a month to us and that is very greatly received and goes towards server cost and rental of things and all that kind of stuff this is quite nice alternatively you can go for the full fat experience at what the equivalent of four pound fifty or whatever that is in your currency um, and that gets you access to our discord server it gets you access to ask us questions for our ask the podcast episodes which we'll be doing another one of shortly um yeah, shortly. so we've got them so if you want to get on board and ask us some questions for that then get in quick um also to say early access um early access to the episodes add free versions yep. of them as well and just you know generally and helps you know really helps to support the podcast as well and we and we uh, greatly appreciate that so if you want all that then head over there it's patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past i think that's about it otherwise you know share sure. say stuff about us on twitter if you're still yeah, on there review positively and you know say good things yeah I think we need to maybe look at starting up a Mastodon at some point. Seems yeah, like people, people are heading that, that direction. Looks, looks crazy, yeah. So I don't, be. But, you know, when I've got a bit of time, maybe over Christmas or something. Um, I think that's about it. Uh, yeah. God, that was that's a it. bunch of games, wasn't it? We said at the beginning. Yeah, that was wasn't a bunch. it just May? Bloody hell, merciless May. <laughs> it's certainly not the merry month of May, is it? Bloody well isn't. No, it's no, not. It is the, uh... something, something happened. Something bad must have happened <laughs> at least three to three to six months before. Yeah, there was uh, some of these was, bloody crap coming out. There was, Goodness there's me. a tremor in the force, all right. I'm not kidding. Yeah, um, that's about it. Graham, you got anything you wish to add? Or well, we shall get no, on out of here. I'm going to go and wash my eyes with bleach now and <laughs> try and recover from 
Um, there's some of these terrifying garbage that we've had. That championship sprint left a bad taste in my mouth as well yeah. as many, many others. It's Top Fuel Challenge was the one that did it for me. Uh, just, I was like, oh. No, I need to walk walk away. I need to get away from that. <laughs> yeah, don't leave them the gasoline so they can't play no, it. <laughs> it. can't move. I'm taking I'm my taking gasoline. your Top Fuel. I'm taking your Top Fuel and your Bisto. Walk away. <laughs> walk away. <laughs> Make the gravy. <laughs> You don't share the gravy. <laughs> you know, at the uh, at the uh, telethon, I'm surprised there weren't uh, some of the robots from uh, Halloween 3, seeing as they were powered by Bisto. They are actually powered by, funny enough, I watched that the other night, actually, watched Halloween 3, because of, obviously it was recently Halloween. And um, yes, indeed. <laughs> there's only, I think there's only one guy as well that will do the gravy in the mouth thing, because the same guy, <laughs> whenever the, that, there's one guy who dies with gravy in the mouth, and later on the same guy dies with gravy in his mouth, none of the others will do it. They're like, well, I'm not drinking that crazy brown stuff <laughs> spitting it out so there's just one gravy guy so the rest of them are powered by who knows but yeah. i don't know but yeah because he gets the uh fist to the stomach doesn't he as well, well yeah, he, he does gets... but he's, he's the also the only one of the automatons in that film that sneezes saying so what does that tell you about him you know, why, would why would you program, you program sneezing that? why, well, why do you would know you what? program like receptors up the nose that make them sneeze because <laughs> it just to be fair, run, runs the risk of them, you know <laughs> Throwing out not phlegm but gravy. Imagine to be fair, Adrian, you and gravy came to be, out. To be fair, Adrian, the internal components are actually very simple, and after that, it's just another form of mask making, <laughs> isn't it? You're, hang on a minute. Are you Donald Cochran? <laughs> Take off Connell, your mask. Connell's brother. Connell's yeah, Donald Cochran. Whoever. I'm Connell Donald Cochran. Cochran yeah. Yes, we don't talk about Connell and his crazy antics. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, good old Connell. Yeah, Con- Connell's a weird name. It's that um, very Irish name, traditional Irish name, Connell. It is, yeah. That's why I thought Donald. Donald really? Cochran. Connell yeah. Cochran. It He's is. a great man, Connell Cochran. He invented the dead dwarf gag, remember, and sticky toilet paper. How did he, on earth did he become a successful businessman? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but he becomes the uh, head of OCP. Isn't that him? He does well. He does, yes. He's the, you know, he's the Elon Musk of his day. <laughs> Smells of it as well. Do you, as <laughs> a quick question, sorry, just we're just grabbling on now. Do you hear the term musk and think that's a good smell or a bad smell? I think it's a good smell, musk. Ah, see, I think musk. Manly musk smell. Uh, See, I think musk is a bad smell, but that's just me. But you can get more. You you do wear gravy (laughs) gravy aftershave. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Oxo deodorant. (laughs) I just rub a a cube on underneath (laughs) each armpit. (laughs) New from Moogler, Bisto. (laughs) Oh, the smell of it. <laughs> we need to leave. We need to let whoever's listening do, still to whoever is still listening to this. We need to let this them is go. Just put them off their um, Sunday dinner. Absolutely, <laughs> spread a good bit of musky bisto on your grave on your on your roast. <laughs> Love it, musky bisto. What a name, <laughs> musky bisto. <laughs> <laughs> just write that down. Uh, That's going in the story. <laughs> <laughs> she met him at a bar. What's your name? She said. Bisto, musky Bisto. <laughs> you sound like a secret no. agent. <laughs> Pour me a I bit am. of the shot glass of Bisto. I am. I just imagine it powering Gravy, it down. Gravy division, MI5. <laughs> Gravy division. He's just he's there with his row of shot glasses upside down with bits of gravy still in the top. <laughs> the bits that necking, don't drop out. Necking shots of gravy, like, like angrily. <laughs> Tipping upside. <laughs> I think I would be angry if I was necking shots of Bisto in a bar. Yeah. It's like in that movie, that beginning scene, no, that scene in Indiana Jones where she's like challenging that guy and they're drinking shots. He's doing that with some Russian guy with gravy. He's like, 
You see the guy just slumped to the side in like a brown food coma. There's all these Yorkshire puddings just scatter over him. Oh. Someone loves a roast, roast potato with his head. Where are you I putting that stuff in? No! <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, so anyway, that's, there's that. So there's that. <laughs> so there's that. Um, right, we're going to leave now. I think it's time for us to end. As ever, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Raddings. And you have been listening to Bisto to the Past. <laughs> and we will see you again next week. Gravy. Yes. And exactly two Bistos. Because <laughs> yeah. it's become a unit of measurement now. <laughs> yeah, as the ox. Yeah, you can find it as well, just as the oxo flies. <laughs> see you in a couple of Bistos. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When we'll join you for next week when it's Bisto Day. Happy Bisto Day. <laughs> hey. <laughs> God, end this podcast now. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuther, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.